Today's podcast is sponsored by Bald Move. There's just a few days left to get 25% off a new annual membership by going to club.baldmove.com and entering the code WW2018 at checkout. That's only for the month of May, June 1st. You'll be out of luck. Again, for a new annual membership only, 25% off at club.baldmove.com. Use WW2018 at checkout. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, titled Phase Space. Uh, what did you think after watching this episode for a second time? Uh, I I liked it. I liked it, but I also have a lot of things that bug me about it. <laughs> it seems like a qualified like. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, <laughs> I like It's just like, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um. There's now like five different ways anyone could be anyway, yep. one else, and a way that an entire the fabric of reality can be called into question. And those are somewhat frustrating mechanics. And increasingly, I'm feeling like a guy entering a haunted house with a flashlight and infrared goggles, trying to find all the false panels and mm-hmm. where the masks are. And and it and I'm, I feel like I'm going to be at the end of it. Like, well, this is the shittiest haunted house in the world, and whose fault is it? Mine or the haunted house? Like. Uh-huh. I don't know that this is supposed to be – I think you're just supposed to watch this and have your mind blown a couple of times. And you're not supposed to break out the infrared goggles and see old-ass Anthony Hopkins sneaking around in a ghost sheet. <laughs> All right? Well, yeah, you caught, you, you caught him slipping in the ghost sheet in episode two, and yeah. now you're like, oh, fuck it. He's back. Like, well – And then you pull the sheet off, and you're like, yeah, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it, Anthony. You were right, under there. Right. So, I mean, that's – so, I again – I I still like this show. Yes, it's getting up its ass about some things, like including like some blatant Christ imagery and whatnot. But shit, my favorite show of all time involved a painting of the prophet Job, the uh, uh, a Job figure hallucinating that it was moaning at him or something. So I, so I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can I guess I'm trying to say why I can see a lot of people are getting leery and also. This is about the place last season where I started voicing the same things. Like, maybe this super analytical and critical style is not super helpful for enjoying the show at maximum enjoyment. I will say I like this episode on on first watch maybe more so than second watch because I hadn't done any reading about it. Uh-huh. And I was looking at it... Um, kind of on face value you know and then once i started digging into the details and seeing where people were speculating and theorizing Mm -hmm. and just tearing it to shreds and kind of i think largely missing the overall point or or maybe the show itself misses the overall point and gets lost in the weeds of what is the audience going to do to our beautiful baby of an episode right uh how do we trick them yeah and i it it leans into kind of a larger meta conversation that I definitely think is appropriate on this show. And I'm not going to say that this show is bad. What I want to say is this show, uh, I I enjoy it, but I think I would enjoy it more if it had a more traditional storytelling mechanism, I guess, or methodology. Like I I look at this and I say, okay, so there are a few things that we piece together in this episode. Um, Like Ford is in the cradle as far as we can tell. Right. Uh, a we Ford. know a, Ford. a version of Ford, yeah, that who knows how closely it resembles him. It seems like it was his intention to put himself in there. So I'm going to say it's Ford. Right. Uh, 
we know that the cradle at some point gets destroyed mm-hmm. in the future. But I think the reveal of that information and the piecing together of that information after the fact removes all of the emotion that you should be feeling in those moments. Mm. And, like, it's hard to get to the place of, oh, my God, this is a finality for this character, you know? There's a big punch here. Instead, you're looking for the next—you're perpetually looking for the next shoe to drop. Right. And I think that's a bad state to watch the show in. Yeah. Like, even there's a lot of, like, people on, on Reddit I see say, well, I don't get it. Why doesn't Akane just bring back Sakura? Yeah. And I'm like, there is no good reason for that. There is no good reason for Maeve not to even suggest, that, like, you know, I can just turn her back on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I can just, I can just whip her, whip her back into shape, and you'll have her again. Like, yeah, yeah, you get the certainly not before the choice all. thing. Yeah, it, it's, it's like it's hard to reconcile some of these show, the show's impulses with the other things it's doing. But like, those are the things I wish I didn't have to do in this show because yeah. I think there's a more impactful story buried under the storytelling right. methodology. Well, you know, like the jumping between different timelines and stuff it, it kind of gets in the way so here's the here's here's the other analogy i was been thinking about this last day or two like like I, so i came up with pretty early on as i was doing my preparation for the show the whole like i feel like i am a guy in a haunted house with high-tech ghost busting gear and it's just but what if the next year the haunted house people came back and they're like okay we see you fuckers with their infrared goggles and your super ear pickups and what if they start yeah. like just strobing bright light through it and playing like offensive loud noises to make sure mm-hmm. those people are confused at all time yeah and i'm just a person trying to now now my regular enjoyment of the goddamn haunted house is destroyed because they're trying to make the people with the goggles happy so like I've praised that, so far. That's what people mean when they talk about the TV. Uh, this ad- kind of arms race, adapting in, in television and fandom. And we've praised Nolan and Joy for like how they've kind of like maybe done that with certain things, uh, both intentional mm-hmm. and and uh, in universe and out of universe to kind of throw people off the trail. But like maybe that's also a less fun show to watch. I don't I don't know because I'm only watching it the way I'm watching it. Right. Um, But it's funny because I, you know, at at Con of Thrones this weekend, I talked to probably over a dozen fans that came up specifically to say, thanks for segregating all of the speculation and theorizing to a part of podcast I don't have to listen to. I'm loving it. Uh Uh, They're the ones skipping this right now because they're like, what are you talking about? I'm having a great time. (laughs) Right. That's what I'm (laughs) saying. So maybe this is some empirical evidence that uh, the way a large part of the internet likes to engage in this as a puzzle box and I want to open I want to force open the puzzle box before it it's ready to reveal itself like, I just want there to be more to the show than a puzzle box like I that's not yeah. why I watch television to well, figure out a puzzle I watch it for the stories and the drama you know and, and the characters like most importantly I watch it for the characters and if you get so if, if you get the character beats so muddled in the thing you're trying to do with timelines and reveals and thwarting the internet then i feel like it can lose all of its punch i mean i don't want to suggest that they it's it's only a puzzle box because i do think there's tons of interesting things they're doing with characters well well, let me say the most interesting thing they're doing character wise is mave and look at mave's storytelling it's fucking straightforward it is linear as hell And it's the only thing in there that is, like, super impactful that people aren't going, ooh, what does this mean? What does this mean? Oh, elephants. Ooh, Emily. Is uh-huh. this is she a host? Is it my be a host? Like, all of that gets in the way. None of that is there with Akane and Maeve, and that's why it's so good. Hmm. 
I also, well, I mean, I am super invested in the William Man and Black storyline, and I think there's high mm-hmm. amounts of fuckery going on there. Right. So, like, you know, I, I'm trying to keep it balanced because I, I don't. I, again, I realize that around 106, 107, we were at the the nadir of like. Man, all this theorizing and stuff is never going to pay off. Well, and yeah. we were wrong then. We're probably oh, I know wrong it's going to pay off. I know it's going to pay off for the people who like that thing. But I'm just worried that the characters are suffering for it. Hmm. It could be. Because, like, well, I mean, I think at this point we should probably go ahead and start discussing the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get to the episode, I want to talk a little bit about housekeeping. Uh, we didn't get a screener episode for The Expanse this week. So instead of being out... Same date and time as uh, The Expanse airs on Sci-Fi. We are going to be releasing it. Uh, we're going to be recording it Friday morning, so it'll be an early early Friday afternoon podcast, uh, unfortunately. But uh, good news, bad news situation. It got renewed by Amazon, so we'll have a fourth season. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a day and a half late, but we get a fourth season uh, on balance. It's pretty awesome. Uh, because we went to Con of Thrones, we did not get to see the early release of Solo. Uh, we are going to be re- rectifying that by recording a podcast on the new Star Wars story, Solo, uh, tomorrow. That will be out tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, we also, tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, will be starting our playthrough of Detroit Become Human on twitch.tv slash baldmove. Uh, let me read you this plot synopsis from Wikipedia and see if this doesn't sound good to a Westworld fan. The plot revolves around three androids, Kara, who escapes the owner she was serving to explore her new, her newfound sentience and protect a young girl, Connor, whose job it is to hunt down sentient androids, and Marcus, who devotes himself to releasing other androids from servitude. They may survive or perish depending on dialogue choices that shape the story as customized by the player. And I plan on being a giant asshole. Okay, yeah, we're going to play this like our bad guy bad, series. Bad, bad guy Detroit is how we're going to play this. Like, <laughs> That's a pretty easy role to get into, i got to say. Get her, bring your black hats and your Bowie knives and get ready for some fun. Uh, that's what we got going on at this week at Bald Move. Again, follow baldmove.com for all, all, all the Bald Move stuff. Uh, we start off with, well, let's start off with the title of the episode, Face Space. Um, what does that mean? So apparently this is a a term that's used a lot in like classical mechanics. I'm talking about like physics. Um, it's the definition I have written down here, which comes mostly from Wikipedia, is a space in which all possible states of a system are represented. Um, so that's like, uh, let's say you have a, a binary choice, like a zero and a one, mm-hmm. and that is the entirety of your system. That would be essentially two points. Uh, in this space. Now, let's say it's an analog system and you have an infinite range between zero and one. Uh, that would look more like a line instead of two points. Um, it's, I- I'm not exactly sure what they're getting at with that, but it's got to be, my assumption is it's tied in with uh, the cradle in a big way. Yeah, and the fact that you'd have any kind of large complex system, I'd imagine, would have a large set of that 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 space Mm -hmm. so it's almost like saying endless possibilities yeah like uh, it's a it's a very techie way or or nerdy way of saying that uh which does feel like as i said now that you've got like a a matrix situation not only can anyone be a host and any host can be any other host since you can probably swap the brain cores um but you've got the situation where now reality might not even be reality because we might be perceiving all this stuff through so now, like, you could be 
a host that thinks they're another host that looks like a different host in the simulation of Westworld and nothing is real. Mm-hmm. How are we not screaming? Why is, how is so, the appropriate uh, response not just to sit down and scream? It is. <laughs> a, a you're, you're not wrong. It is the appropriate response. But B, they do some clever grounding here, I think. And, and, yes. and if they don't stick to these rules, I am going to scream. Right. I'm going to fucking scream into the void and nobody's going to care and the show will continue to do what it does. But... Well, let's talk about this first scene because it happens right here, right Wait off the bat. Wait a second. Bat. If we're, we, uh, what rule? Because I, I think the th- problem is I don't see how you can discuss these rules outside the framework of our speculation section. No, I, I think it's very easy. You can you can talk about it from a filmmaking perspective. You can, but it's, like it's very, I don't it's think... just like a flashback. Okay, like doing sepia tones in a flashback or something, or desaturation. Okay, or whatever. fine. Well. I'll... Uh, yeah, let's let's start off. Bernard tells Dolores that she frightens him. We're back in this interview scenario. Um, and he has to choose whether to let her live or end her, and whether that's even his choice to make, which causes Dolores to stop the interview and uh, say, no, that's not how he did it. And she reveals that she's been testing Bernard in this scene for fidelity. And you can see that this scene is shot in a different aspect ratio than the next scene. And, mm-hmm. and in most of the other scenes of this episode. So the only thing I can say without getting speculation, I think the only thing we should say is that it, 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 that's something you can either choose to take note of or not. Like you need to choose to go back and look at all the different scenes that are shot in that particular aspect ratio and draw conclusions. Oh, I don't think there's or... any reason to say that it's speculation. As soon no, it's as not... later on when Bernard goes I'm, into, hey, I'm not saying that it's speculation that to do using different aspect ratios. I'm saying the inference you can draw with that is is where people might get upset for you peeling back a layer of the show. Okay, uh, <laughs> fuck me. I guess I don't know how to talk about this show without. I just I, at least I think doing we did something. It. I think we did it. We got a whole section in speculation talking about this shit. Okay. Uh, well, then I have nothing more to say about this scene. I guess me either. The that's yeah. I mean, the only mm. thing I think it's different. Like the only thing I think is interesting is that um, Dolores, like she she gets Bernard or Arnold or whomever she's testing here for fidelity in a. Uh, a dispute essentially with him trying to deny that he has the right or agency to make a decision because uh, mm-hmm. he's it's a, it's the difference between it's not my choice to make versus I'm not sure what choices to make and yeah. that's the thing that kind of set her off or she saw as a discrepancy which I think is kind of interesting it's uh, perhaps uh, a commentary on the passivity of Bernard who is essentially a thrall to Ford and the dynamicism and uh, agency of Arnold, who was an opposition to Ford. I feel like it could be the exact opposite here. Um, this, <laughs> like because, things, yeah. Because when I think about it, she says, who I think she's talking about here is Arnold. Uh-huh. You know, she's interviewing Bernard, I think. Um, but she's speaking about Arnold here in the third person. You know, he, he never said it that way you know he never questioned the agency that he had mm-hmm. whereas bernard here in this scene is questioning the agency that he has mm-hmm. and and i think that's an interesting distinction like it, us as humans we don't ever stop to even consider the fact that we may or may not have agency right over our own choices so in our own lives which is something that the hosts have been continuously confronted with yeah uh 
And so they're far more aware of it than we are. And that's funny. It's because, like, in philosophy and psychology and neuropsychology, that's something that's hotly debated, whether we actually do have what mm-hmm. we would conventionally think of as free will. Yeah. Yet the sun continues to rise and set, and people live their lives, and no one really thinks about it. So, like, there's, you know, there's, there's sometimes people make comments about, like, I can't believe the hosts aren't blah, blah, blah. When reality, you know, you got seven billion people on this planet that have like the very much the horns of these dilemmas were were perched upon, and mm-hmm. life keeps being led. Yeah, and these are the loops that Ford is talking about. You know, that humans run through. Yep. All right. So Teddy finds Dolores in town playing the piano, and he tells her that they need to get going. Dolores tries to talk to about who Teddy used to be, and uh, Teddy's not having any of it. He says that that old Teddy on the train was weak and born to fail. And as they're loading the train, uh, Teddy kills a security goon who won't tell them essentially what he doesn't know. Uh, and Dolores seems bothered by the ease with which he's killing now, the, yeah. by the monster she's created. Yeah, there's. Uh, I mentioned that this felt very Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, the whole like Stepford Wives Teddy situation. And uh, someone mentioned on Reddit that there was a... Uh, Twilight Zone episode where a woman traded her soul to the devil to be for the, her her um, unrequited love to love her, and it worked. But not having a soul, she was unable to enjoy or feel the emotion of love. And it's kind hmm. of like similar to this that like Dolores is kind of like, oh shit, what have I done? Like I've made the perfect man who no longer is perfect anymore. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was nice. There's a nice touch where Teddy. Uh, he sees the paint can he's supposed to pick up and instead picks up the bullet. Yeah. Like, you know, very artistically showing that Teddy's his own man, for better or worse, mm-hmm. here. Um, and, you know, obviously you're supposed to connect the Dolores playing the piano in this almost haunted kind of Mariposa um, with the closing shot of, uh, uh, of Ford playing the piano. Uh, and then yeah. finally, did you notice that when... The, like the the guard is saying how he just doesn't know and Hale didn't told him anything as the boss like Teddy kind of cocks his voice or his head like he's hearing some kind of voices from far away and then there's this intense sound of fly buzzing that gets louder and louder until he decides to shoot him hmm. like I thought I it, it's, it's a couple things interesting too number one it's there's that somehow suggesting there's some mesh network being used and secondly uh, anytime I hear the buzzing of flies I now think of the blue tongue infection mm-hmm. and that like teddy is somehow infected by something well that... the, the tech did say he can't guarantee that he's gonna hold together so this could be like teddy coming apart it seems well you know? but it'd also be ironic if dolores by making teddy quote-unquote stronger made him more susceptible to some other thing hmm. like like maybe teddy's conscious and virtue was a protection against some other nefarious thing taking over where now like you've got and every time you hear flies you think of lord of the flies and satanic imagery and this fucking whole show is just dripping with good and evil biblical archetypes that we'll continue to talk about but i it's it's something that happened uh teddy hears these whispered voices he hears the flies buzzing and then he just shoots the guard right in the face yep. uh, so yeah all right, we go over to the Mesa where Stubbs surveys his dead QA team. Uh, Charlotte shows up with Abernathy, and they go to an office where Charlotte calls for the extraction, and this time she gets it. Then they take Abernathy to a lab where he's nailed to a chair in a manner that makes Stubbs a little queasy. Yeah. 
He's not too comfortable with that. I'm not either. <laughs> Damn you, Jim. I noticed the bad CGI nails. I think it was bad. I can't, I can't I know tell it if it's was. bad or if it's it like really the movement bad. of flesh under shirt. And like, I. They, they were. It looked clear, bad to me. They, but, yeah, they were. Yeah. Uh, they were. I, I, I've seen better effects. I, I, honestly, I think that there's a lot of kind of borderline shoddy effect work. What uh, else the was samurai's there? hand getting cut off, I thought was fakey as hell. Hmm. Uh, very Empire Strikes Back, Vader taking off Luke's hand. Uh, and I know, short of actually cutting a dude's hand off, there's always going to be some kind of creaks there. I thought the a lot of the corpses and body parts in Samurai World looked very, mm-hmm. speaking of haunted houses, haunted house quality. Um, so yeah, I, I, just, I, I thought it was gratuitous um, in that Kind of like we were talking about in that one season of Game of Thrones where Theon was just being tortured and tortured and tortured. Like, I get it. The hosts are suffering. They're suffering a lot. They're suffering involuntary and voluntary in this episode. Mm -hmm. And it's also gratuitous in the Christ imagery because here's the thing. How is Peter Abernathy a Christ figure? Are we? Are, I don't know that we're supposed to read that into this scene. Man, you nail you nail some dude against his will to some other thing in a piece of dramatic fiction, and if you're not expecting people to think that's a Christ metaphor, then so you could just never nail anyone to anything if you don't intend to go down that rabbit hole. Pretty much, I pretty mm, much yeah. Name a person being nailed to something in a dramatic work that doesn't have a Christ, uh, Christ metaphor. Uh, I don't have it off the top okay. of my head, but, but my my point is like he's not nailed in the same way. Like you always expect the outstretched arms with a Jesus. Well, then Christ that would figure, be, like, yeah, Then then the production would halt because they, you just can't do that. Right, <laughs> right. So I don't know. I didn't read it that way, and I don't think it's meant to be read that way because you're right. I don't see the Christ like imagery applying to Peter Abernathy. Well, I think it's fair to read it that way, and like, and and maybe this is an early, maybe Peter Abernathy. Like there is something to. This guy literally having all the data in the park, which could make him, if if we're talking about the host and everything, like, you know, the reason Jesus died, uh, according to the, the Christian mythos, is that he literally carried the world's sins and was judged and executed unjustly for that so that we may unjustly receive, uh, you know, redemption be, uh, f- from it. So, like, there is something to, like, him carrying those, the the sum total of the sins of humanity and the host in his person being nailed to something and tortured for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't... Uh, th- that's where that's where the metaphor breaks down, unless he's a literal mess- messian- messianic character later. And... Not for nothing, a couple episodes, he was he was quoting the Battle Hymn of the Republic that's all about, you know, in, uh, you know, pr- bring, essentially analogizing a fight for freedom with the same fight that Christ fought against sin and death. So hmm. maybe he is a big, giant Christ figure, and he is going to be the key to everything. <laughs> they can't all be Christ figures. <laughs> you, you can't have Dolores as a Christ figure, and Peter Abernathy as a Christ figure, hey, and Ford, and Bernard. In seventh and, grade, I read The Red Badge of Courage, and I learned that everything was a Christ metaphor in Western civilization. So. And it's, it's never been not true. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, we move on to uh, Maeve and her group. We're after the Shogun Army carnage, and Akane is cutting the heart out of Sakura. Uh, when they arrive back in town... Tanaka reveals that he has taken Hector. Or Tanaka, if you don't know, is the the guy that he's about to fight in this duel. Um, he's taken Hector and Armistice and their doppelganger hosts uh, hostage. Instead of using her mind powers to force Tanaka to kill himself, she allows Musashi to duel him. Musashi cuts his, uh, Tanaka's sword hand off, winning the fight, and allows him an honorable death. There's yeah. 
th- there's a th- there's a poem essentially that's read over the beginning of this scene um, where they're showing the carnage of the army and before she cuts the heart out of Sakura, which is apparently I'm going to say it's a a translation of a death poem by yes. Geshu Soko uh-huh. uh, is how I'm going to pronounce it. I'm almost certain that's not right. Uh, but but it's essentially like if if you don't know what death poems are, and I did not, I had to look this up. Uh, they're largely Japanese poems that are meant to sort of offer a reflection on death, and often coupled with a meaningful observation about life. Um, and they're kind of something that poets typically write when they know they're going to die, or or when they are contemplating their own death, things like that. It's a really weird, interesting art to me. Well, it's like, also because I was re- I was doing the same research you were doing, and they said that this is like this kind of thing is very unique to like uh, East East Asia. Yeah. Religions. It's like a, a Buddhist sort of like thing, a, and yeah. particularly like a Zen Buddhist mm-hmm. branch from the, the the Japanese branch of Buddhism. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. Also, this guy is from a, was a was a um, particular Zen Buddhist monk from the early Edo period, mm-hmm. um, and it's. So I, I did some digging in the philosophy of this and that, like, the Zen Buddhists think that the natural order of thing, the natural order of the universe is devoid of a singular consciousness or personality. And that our our actual consciousness and personality is a transient thing that mm-hmm. comes and goes, like, on the whim. And that this, this death poem is some kind of way to, like, rationalize that. Like, don't even hold a te- – a, 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 don't be too attached to your own – your own life and and mm-hmm. at that point and, and you know right before your life ends it's it's better to make a, a a pretty piece of poetry that might help the living attain that same kind of zen philosophy and non-attachment than it is to like oh god i'm dying i'm shitting my pants here um <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah no that's something and even like that that carried down even into the 20th century because they the, the hmm. article mentioned that many many Japanese soldiers in World War II that were going on suicide missions would compose these death poems too as a as a as a as a, as a just to show that it's still important to their their culture even as recently as 60 years ago. Yeah. Uh so uh, let's talk about the the duel and stuff here um that whole scene uh, unless you want to talk more about cutting hearts out which I'm fine with. Mm, no, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I, I, I wanted to do a lot more. I mean, I could have done enough. I'm, I almost lost, I lost out on essentially a whole day of research because of the Con of Thrones thing. D- dude, um, I, I didn't. And I could have done a hundred more hours of research. Like yeah, I, I still don't feel like I'm I've pretty, properly, I, 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 this, this heart cutting ceremony has to be some big cultural thing uh-huh. or a part of like some kind of epic uh, Japanese legend. I don't know. I think the, the show does a good job of making it obvious. The, the meaning of it, the right. It's bringing the, her the home purpose to of it, yeah. yeah. Her spirit contained in her heart, I imagine. Right. Um, which you know, this death poem kind of services that as well. You know, talking about there is a road that leads to my true home. Yes. Um, and that that seems to have some kind of almost peaceful connotations to it. You know, mm-hmm. or things as they should be, like you said earlier. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about the duel. I I believe there's a huge mistake here made by Tanaka, which is. He's, he knows he's going up against a witch, and he gives the witch the opportunity to, to turn the tables. You just can't do that. Yeah, you got to ambush a witch. In the instant talk, you mentioned that you thought that – I thought you said maybe. Maybe I'm confusing you with the listener feedback. But, but they were saying something about, like, you denied that Maeve had tried to interfere in the duel. 
Where and I said no, I thought no, no, she no. was going to until Masashi stepped forward and said, "I will fight you." Yeah, I, I don't deny that she tried to. Okay. I'm not sure that it was working. Okay, oh. is, is my thing. Like Tanaka goes for his sword, but I don't know that that's so Maeve on controlling him. On subsequent thought, you you didn't think that that was going to be him yeah. drawn and just cutting his own head off. That's because uh, that's what the it, inference. It could, I... it could be or. Here's the problem with that, though. He holds onto that sword far longer than I would expect if he were still under Maeve's control. Because, mm. like, I, I really view, like, Maeve tries to take control of him. Yeah. When Misashi speaks up and says, let's duel, she lets go. Mm. And he, he continues in that same, I guess that same stance for a very right. long time. We don't know, like, is there a particular... is Are some hosts more resistant to... Like this mesh network suggestion than others because of right, you know. You, you, I mean, it, it has to be in some way because like if there's a mesh network saying, "Hey, this host wants his drink refilled," or this guest wants his drink refilled, you don't want the fucking shogun of shogun palace to come up to like leave it leap off his dice and start sprinting towards the thirsty guest. It'd spoil mm-hmm. the so like maybe there's like hierarchies and or I just wonder. But, like, I mean, let's say you just, uh, you're right. We just don't know. Yeah, we don't. Um, but that's how I read it. And I also wonder, like, what would happen if there were two Maves? You know, like, th- there's a sure. Mave who is just as woke as yeah. the other Mave, and each of them are trying to take each over, each other over. Right? Would that I- ever work? Yeah. yeah. Um. So it, it might also have to do with you know how woke one of these hosts is. Indeed. Uh, and then there's this line after after the duel, which I like the duel. It's exciting. Um, yeah, it's good. It's also it's a, a it's another uh, nod to Musashi's namesake because uh, as we mentioned, I think I mentioned this last week, but if not, uh, Musashi's a real Edo period samurai who wrote entire books on battle strategy and sword tactics, and he was renowned for being able to fight with both of his swords instead of one. And he thought any samurai worth assault should be proficient in in, in both blades. And there's some people that maintain that there's a translation fuckiness going on that like he's just saying you should be able to use both your blades equally well the each length mm. um and some people think he no he literally means like two-handed swords akimbo combat yeah uh, there's a lot of japanese illustrations showing him fighting with two swords so maybe i mean i guess i would go with that mm-hmm. those illustrations were a hell of a lot were they close. contemporary with yeah, it's contemporary ish you know okay. um oh kind of like the bible's contemporary <laughs> right but, i mean there's a difference between a guy <laughs> that lived 50 years after the fact saying he fit with uh versus a 21st century scholar saying well if you look at the verb tense here oh, yeah. then yeah. you know um but who knows who knows i like that they they i felt smart after reading up on this guy being like, oh look the two sword thing uh-huh. uh so there's this line at the end well Maeve has a whole bunch of lines about like choice and and letting uh, Musashi choose his own path here, which are going to get thrown right back in her face later. Yep. Um, but she has this line, or, or Akane has this line about finding her child so that they can prevent the darkness from eating them alive. Yeah, from consuming them all. Yeah, what is, what is the darkness they're speaking of? Is it just the the killing, the evilness of the things that are happening in this park? Well, see, this goes back to the discussion last week, last week of how the hosts that are now longer under strict control, how they perceive that. Mm-hmm. Like, is it perceived of, like, some kind of creeping lawlessness into their life? Um, obviously, hosts that are programmed to be good are not, like, becoming evil, and hosts that are becoming evil are just now not constrained by the plot. But I wonder if that's just, like, a feeling they have. Like, they, can, they know something's different, and it's, it's leading to all this lawlessness and death. 
Um, and unlike a real Shogun world where it'd be reset to back to every, everything's made right at the end of the day, like it's just nothing's getting better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's like I said, it's like if, if, if a cow's in a 500-acre pasture and they're in the middle of it and the fence just disappeared, would they know anything's different? How yeah. long would it take them to discover? Would mm-hmm. there still be cows 10 years from there on the same plot because they don't know any better? Might be. Probably not. Animals aren't that dumb. But <laughs> it's, it's a fun ex- thought experiment to think about. All right, so we go over to the man in black speaking to his daughter, Emily, as if she's a host sent by Ford to derail his plans. He tells her to leave, but then the group rides up on a honeypot, which they all fall for, and Emily saves him by killing the ambushers. I I found it funny that the man in black thought his daughter here is a host, and there is still a lot of question about that, uh, which apparently we won't talk about for another hour or so. Uh, Uh... Yeah, no, I mean, gee, he thinks she's a robot. Uh, yeah. There is, there is... Uh, I mean, everybody else has been thrown in his path, uh, just kind of out of the ran- out of right. random circumstance, has been, you know, at some point speaking as if they're Ford, so, right. and pointing him down a path, so right. he's right to suspect something. Yeah, and even, like I said, he, like, I, one thing I'm doing to go into this whole haunted house analogy, and I know that they're, like, or I suspect that they're trying to defensively... Um, create this season is if they like we have to really pay attention to like things that we might have thought like on first glance and then disconsidered because of whatever or reconsidered because of whatever one of our first thoughts when we saw emily in raj world is oh it's got to be significant that she tested the other dude to be a robot and he never bothered to do it back mm-hmm. and now like three episodes later man in black is questioning you know one of the most smartest perceptive dudes in the park is questioning about whether his own daughter is uh, a, a robot and there's even some suggestions we'll get later on that there's some sort of um, uh, fidelity test that she may be failing so like yeah and I think one of the strongest ways they can defensively is by going back to something that the show audience thinks that they've proved is not happening and actually make it happen so like if if the ho- if everyone's like hey you know what we're pretty sure Emily's a person now. Introduce the possibility she's a robot because, mm-hmm. you know, people are just like if, if they prove themselves something uh, is, is true or false, they're less likely to go back and check that assumption on new evidence. Yeah. 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 They're clearly encouraging us to ask that question in, in that early scene um, where she doesn't test herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wonder. There's really no way if they knew that they were going to do a scene like this um, and they knew that's the relationship that Man in Black and Emily would have at first, um, there's really no way they could do that scene because it would ruin, you know, the impact of of us questioning now in the moment and and the Man in Black questioning it, right? Because we would be like, well, we know the answer to that. Right. If the guy had said, all right, now I'm going to shoot you in the tit because yeah. you shot me. Uh, and yeah, either way it goes, the... whether it you know destroys her and she's refurbished right. by you know the people in the garage. Unless or... Ford is playing so far ahead that he would program the gun to recognize her oh, as a host. Oh, my God. Like, or a, a guest. Right. Because you're already, if you're, so I'm, if your theory is that Emily's a robot, you're already saying that Ford or someone put a robot daughter of the man in black in Raj world mm-hmm. in front of the gala just so she can happen to run across him in Westworld. Like that's um all, all going beyond the Joker levels of preparedness in the Dark Knight. Like, oh yeah. he you know, like I I I don't know. It's be interesting to see. Because again, they're they're really 
they're really flirting with a lot of things. That's that's a tightrope walk, mm-hmm. uh, and and without much in the way of safety netting here. But we do know that Ford clearly has some game going that was pre-planned for sure. And so, to I don't think it's actually. I think it could be more of a stretch um, if we didn't know that to say, hey, she's a plant as a host um, than it currently is because, you know, he has a game going. Right. He has a game. And if he planned this game ahead of time, which we know he did, then he could have brought an Emily into yeah, it. You, you know, if you want to go to maximum absurdity, you could just say, like, everything that's happened. I mean, this is the this is our nightmare scenario. Everything that's happening to the man in black is in a simulation. Mm-hmm. So coincidences and things not lining up and physical travel distances all go out the window because it's a fucking simulation. Right. Okay, we move over to Elsie and Bernard walking the tracks to the Mesa. When she shows some positivity, Bernard tells Elsie that he believes she's the only person who could write this ship by sheer force of will. Uh, They arrive at the Mesa to see the welcome team slaughtered and they make their way inside. And Elsie determines that the cradle is somehow thwarting the attempts of the QA team to repair the systems, even though that should be impossible. And when she tries to tell who's doing it, she's unable because she's accessing the cradle remotely. And then they're going to head off to to the cradle itself, try and figure it all out. Yeah. Uh, so there are there's a mention of quarantine notices here very early on that are being sent out by the system. Do you? Yes. Yeah, like the Ford has set up some automated, like this island is fucked up, stay away yeah. kind of messages, mm-hmm. um, which maybe helps to explain why the outside world is not overly concerned about where the humans are at, and maybe it was why Delos is able to... Because they mentioned that, like, like even Stubbs is, like, plays the audience in the beginning with Hale, where he's like, are you saying, like, Delos does, is not going to care about 100 people until they get Abernathy back? He's like, oh, you're catching on. You do not really fucking smarmy thing that dishonest powerful people do when they act like you're a rube for falling for their ob- for their for their non-obvious lies mm-hmm. um so maybe that's why the world is like well they're covering like you know Westworld's quarantine or something bad happening but it's not like where's mommy there's there's quite there's an answer to where's mommy and daddy or where's the board director or where's yeah. the president of some micronation they're in Westworld, and it's under quarantine, and we're still investigating. So yeah. maybe that's a little bit of like, okay, we'll give him some slack for that. And it makes a lot of sense that the the government of whatever Asian country uh, there around Westworld would have come in to see yes. what's going wrong. Yes. There's a quarantine notice coming out. Let's see if we can go there and help. Uh, yeah. It, it do, seems like the quarantine is Do you find it impossible that you can build a system inside the simulation of Westworld that would interact with the system outside of Westworld? No. I I think some people have, but I've seen in Minecraft people build Turing-complete computers with just the tools available. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, I guess it doesn't stretch my imagination too hard to say a brilliant AI researcher could cobble together just with the materials in a simulated world some way to communicate with the system outside the world in a way that wasn't intended. Oh, you're talking about the cradle. I, I thought you meant, I thought you were talking about Westworld to the real world. You're talking about no, the cradle about, to Westworld yes, yes. systems. Like okay. from an entirely simulated space, it's possible yeah. to build complex and unintentional interactions, and I've seen it happen in the real world. Right. With, like all, I said, all, Minecraft. All he needs is some... 
physical way to speak to those systems. Right. Um, and whether that's wireless and invisible right. or whether that's like a physical jack plugged in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If he has physical connections, he can certainly do it within the Especially software. Especially since he's the architect of these systems. Yes. Like, if anyone could do it, it would be him. So mm-hmm. I guess... I think the way they're saying this is like very poetic. Like, oh, I'm like, like the, the that that Westworld's computer interface is message based. Like, it's not so much code. It's just like um, like like conversational strings and whatnot that assemble together to form code. And they're like getting like calls mm-hmm. and responses. Um, but that just might be dumbing it down for like the audience's sake. Yeah, I don't know. This is an interesting this is an interesting plan. Knowing now that Ford is inside of the cradle. Uh, I wonder who destroys it because I don't think that Delos can destroy it. I don't think that security forces can destroy it. Yeah. Because if they do, they destroy all the backups of all their IP. And now these crazy rogue hosts that are trying to kill them, they're indefensible against. They can't kill them back. It's because then like, they lose all the precious IP they're there to defend. It's almost like Ford did double sacrifice. He sacrificed his literal physical body mm-hmm. uh, to spark the riot, and then he used his consciousness slaved inside of the uh, the cradle to cons- to fight the human's ability to put the yoke back on the robots. Right to to more or less success because I you know obviously people can still fuck with the robots we've seen mm-hmm. uh, Rebus get his you know go from from uh, villain to hero we've seen it Teddy go from hero to villain but there is something that's keeping you know some there there is something and I, maybe hmm I'm like well, so why would he allow that to happen but uh, maybe it's because both of those were done by robots like Bernard did it in one case and Dolores did it in the other so that's still them arguably exerting their autonomy yeah I don't know we we still don't know a lot about the access that you have to yeah. the mesh network from from mm-hmm. the centralized networks um because you can tell by my that line of thinking that I've on, on subsequent watches I started going like well, maybe maybe Ford's still the hero <laughs> or an ally of the robots if not a hero yeah because uh, it could go either way like now that the show is kind of like bringing up the fact that Ford's still around and maybe he's up to no good uh, maybe there's a lot of manipulation now I'm running back the other way but. no I have so much to talk about when it comes to Ford in the machine yeah yeah. Uh, which I like your your haunted house analogy because it's literally a ghost in a machine. If yep. if you go with that. Uh, anyway, let's move on to Maeve and company arriving at Snow Lake. Lee and Felix and Sylvester, the humans in this scenario, find the access point that they were here for. Akane burns Sakura's heart on the shrine to lay her to rest, and then Akane and Musashi Musashi say that they will not be coming with Maeve on her journeys. And Maeve tries to object, but Akane throws her words right back in her face. We deserve the the choice. Yeah, it's interesting. Musashi says that uh, anyone who will not fight for their homeland is a coward. And that's interesting because I, I feel like that's framed a lot like what how Dolores sees the situation, too. It's mm-hmm. almost like there's a, there's a civil war prime to spark amongst the robots about what they should do as vis-a-vis stay or go. Yeah. Um, and, and if you want to further contrast Maeve and Dolores with these scenes, you can do so through their treatment of, like, Akane and Teddy, right? Like, mm-hmm. Akane's given that choice. She's Maeve allows her the agency to make a choice that will lead to her death, potentially. Yeah. Um, whereas Dolores does not allow that for Teddy. 
In fact, I think it's appropriate now to talk about, because this is something that I got asked a lot in email and people were wrestling with online. Uh, what was the point of Samurai World? I've, I've got my idea. I mean, I, I really do think it's to contrast what's happening with Maeve and Dolores. I think so, too. And it, it does it rather effectively. But could it, like I said, I'm almost like what... That had to be shown. Like you had the, mm-hmm. you know, both. This is a this is an illustration between both robots that have the ability to ride roughshod over their computer, over their hosts, with similar motivations. Like even Maeve said, you know, I'm doing this in a desire to make you free, but I don't have the right to to, to do that to you. Whereas De- mm-hmm. Dolores is just like bleep bloop bleep. Teddy's a bad guy now. Yep. Or bleep bloop bleep. I've slaughtered all these guys and brought them back and are you know using them as pawns. It just and and the reason f- specifically for Westworld is it's like the control. It's exactly like Westworld, but different. So Maeve can make those exact same decisions with the exact same characters in the exact same setting as Dolores to increase the contrast. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I might feel frustrating because it's like a long way to essentially make the point that Maeve is the opposite of Dolores. But mm-hmm. if, you, if, you're, if you're always saying show, not tell... This is 40 minutes of telling or showing versus probably they could have done the same thing in three or four minutes of telling. Sure. But I, I'm i always a proponent of the, of the the show don't tell, and I think the show did a beautiful job. This Plus, you know, fucking Samurai World looks amazing. Yeah. Other than the gore effects sometimes. Uh, I, I do kind of agree with the people online who are saying now that they've done that, with Shogun World and we've seen that this these other worlds are essentially just a copy of Westworld mm-hmm. that I probably don't need to actually see the other worlds unless they're going to do something very different with them. Yeah, like I'm I'm up for like a Game of Thrones world that's essentially just a three or four minute gag. Yeah. Like at the expense of Game of Thrones the production. Right, come uh, up in the elevator. Oh yeah, I see where we are. There are people hacking right, each other. There's another Maeve. There's another Dolores. Right, yeah, yeah. And like, then they drop back down in the access point. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could see some fun hacking in that um, right and, and or like you said tell a completely different story that's yeah. not about Lee just plagiarizing surprise us with Lee being wrong yet again and you know like, like I said I think there's a lot of I think there are some pitfalls the show is capable of stepping into but I don't think mm-hmm. this is one of them that would no. be amateur hour it would. if you just trot back the oh look it's a, just another version of and actually try to do something character based on it mm-hmm. they've done it I don't think they'll do it again all right, we're settling in for the night. The man in black and Emily have a fireside chat about their wife slash mother. Uh, when he asks what she's doing here, Emily apologizes for saying uh, that her mother's death was his fault and asks him to leave the park with her instead of going on uh, going out in a bullshit blaze of glory. And he agrees that they'll head out of the park at sunup. And when sunup comes, Emily inevitably awakens to the man in black being nowhere to be found. Hmm. We all saw that coming, yeah. Uh, yes, but I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say, fuck it. I mean, they just got me. I will say that up until they smash cut to dawn, I was like on board with because they kind of like that's what I feel like they've been nudging William into a good guy direction, and I'm like, well, maybe this will because because the other thing is like William could have made the conscious decision to be a bad guy and then park consp- uh, the can. Events in the park would conspire to bring him back. Like, okay, I'm going to leave and we're going to do, but then we get fall into a bunch of misadventures and I end up having to destroy 
uh, the cradle for a completely legitimate reason or something that, like like the the his hero's journey is that he has to get Emily on his side. He can't just do it. But no, they just straight up fucked her. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was it was humorous well, you, you because were, I, I was sucked into Ed Harris's performance yes. and hearing, and he did that weird thing with his mouth that was like reminiscent of Jimmy Simpson. And he had that sparkle in his eye, and I'm like, well, fuck. And then it went from that to, like, you bastard. No, and it's it's an amazingly emotional scene. Yeah. Um, and there's so much, like, that has just kind of been hinted at or, or a lot of blank spaces in our knowledge that are sort of unnecessary to fill in here to really achieve the emotion they're going for. Right. Uh, so it, it really felt like a good way to humanize these these two characters who i think we we don't know much about emily at all Mm -hmm. um in this scene she shows what i think are some true colors here but also there seems like there's some fuckery going on too the other other thing is as i watch this a few times i'm i also could be persuaded that he intended to go with her to the beach and he said he essentially made an offer so what i head with you to the beach i let this place burn behind us and we'll be even and she said We'll call it a good start. And mm-hmm. that's where he's like, okay, well, you know, if this is just going to continue or and it's going to spiral, then it's, it's almost like there's a room for me to believe that maybe he would have if she just met him dead eve- even emotionally. Hmm. But her not willing to do that was kind of like, eh, not worth it. It's not, you, ha- you haven't put enough in the pot, kid. Um, no, I thought the scene, I thought, I thought the scene was great. I thought that scene was great. And I will note that because uh, it'll be relevant later on, that by morning they'd fixed Teddy's stump uh, closed caption flub, but the gala invite is still subtitled the gauntlet invite. Yeah, everybody was like, why the fuck are these podcasters talking about a gauntlet invite? Because they it's fucked we up watched it with closed this, caption, yeah. and they wrote gauntlet invite. Right. So, like, and, what am and, I to do? And if you don't think you'll hear gauntlet when it says yeah. on screen gauntlet, then no. you've never had the... And it's kind of a, a weird, bad edit anyway. Like, right. it's a choppy edit that right. you can tell they cut together two words. It's... Yeah. It's like, have you ever heard the joke where they say, you know, spell spot and then spell this and everything rhymes with stop. And then after they do that five or six times, say, what do you do at a green light? 99% of people say stop Uh because that's just, yeah, that's that's, that's why we said gauntlet. It's a gauntlet invite, obviously. Uh, So that tells us that she at at some point used to be used to be a Delos employee. Because they said, oh, you're back in the family business, and okay. she used to enjoy going as a mm-hmm. child, but hasn't gone for a long time, so her adult, but she's still been a Dalos employee, or he wouldn't say, you're back into the family business. Uh, I think that's yeah, it's, some it's key it's weird. Clues. Like, if she wasn't old enough the last time she was here to go to the Pleasure Palace, mm-hmm. then was she old enough to be a member of the family business? Like, I don't in, think in so. an official capacity? I and, wouldn't and, think so. And all those... Um, all those ARG things or there there were her like I guess corporate identity were like busting people's chops over like room inspections and things like that, more administrative things. So maybe oh, that Grace thing. Yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe she worked at the, in Delos but not in the actual production of Westworld or any of those things. Hmm. But I, that's the yeah, one way you can square that. There that but I just want to uh, pick that up. Uh the other thing I think you're supposed to notice uh is there's this discrepancy between the man in black saying she was terrified of elephants and her saying that that was her mom, suggesting that maybe there's a little... That's another reason that the man in black rejected her, because that was proof to him 
uh, that she she wasn't an accurate copy or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be there to further color in the relationship that they've had that the man in black doesn't know this, doesn't remember this about his daughter. Yeah. And their times in Westworld. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm struggling to even figure out why I think this, but I wonder if the journal that she's looking at was not the journal for her to find, you know, the secret Dalos project or whatever, mm-hmm. but if it was the man in black's journal, that uh, t- to the place where he made his huge mistake, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the place that he's going now to try and destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the man in black's journal. And she found it in his office or whatever and decided to go hunt him down because she realizes he's on a fucking suicide mission. Were you, I feel like that, I feel like me and Joanna had a conversation similar to that this weekend at Con of Thrones. Were you standing there? Because, like, I don't think so. No. I think, as, yeah, that's, that's just what that's I got from the instant yeah, watch. That, that's thing. something that's something that's been out there that, okay. like, and I hadn't heard until we were talking about this weekend. But, yeah, the fact that, like, this might be something she got from his study or something. Yeah. Or it copied se- down. It seems to make a good amount of sense. Otherwise, right. she's lying in this scene about right. why she's here. Right. That so she's, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I honestly don't think she was lying, but I don't know. Ed Harris was lying. Yeah. It's tough to tell sometimes. It makes sense. I really like the fact that like he was just assuming that she hated him, and she was there to watch him fail or to help him along the way, when really she's there to save him because she doesn't want mm-hmm. to lose another parent to suicide. Yeah. Essentially. I thought that was really powerful in his... Ed Harris, hell of an actor. Yeah. Really good. Oh, both of them are great in this scene, Yeah. Uh, we move on to Bernard and Elsie entering the cradle, where she still can't get a close enough look uh, at who the messenger is here. So Bernard, this whole time, is remembering coming to the cradle with one of those brain marbles, and he decides to enter the Matrix, or mm-hmm. the cradle in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, his marble's extracted, and he wakes up on the train to Sweetwater. He lost his marble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, the cradle has really got... Both Ford and Bernard by the balls now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally by the balls. Did you see when I, you were watching it how, like, the cradle is suggestive of just, like, a forest of these technical trees with branches, and each branch is holding, uh, like, a little yeah, marble yeah. or uh-huh. uh, a control unit? Yeah, yeah. So that would be all the hosts that they're talking about being Also, inside. I think I think we were kind of on about that harness idea because it looks like the marble is the actual control unit and those little sockets mm-hmm. that they plug into are the like universal serial bus for the brain. Right. Um, because they take it out. They just take the marble out of Bernard and then drop it into a new one of those sockets and then plug that into mm-hmm. and Bob's your uncle. He's in the he's in the simulation. Yeah, I wonder if that's because they mentioned how this is antiquated hardware. Yeah, um, it's how, how it's not generation hosts. Yeah, not the one that Bernard is. So maybe, maybe that has to do with it. They have yeah. to put him into an older generation interface. Maybe I think that also. I just what the fuck? Why do they have to? Why why can't she turn his pains in? That's so dumb. Like it is. I get it. Like he gets a quote Roadhouse and pain don't hurt. It's just data. But mm-hmm. like, fuck you. It's um, come on. What is this? What is this? Yeah, I, it does feel like I get it. Uh, it it's very like. Torturing Theon was an important part to a certain season of Game of Thrones, but I get it. I could I could go the rest of my life without seeing hosts screaming in pain unnecessarily. <laughs> like I don't understand. Like I thought that was the whole point of season one that this was shitty. This is a shitty, shitty world. Like I don't I don't like it. It it turns me off. Mm. Like it's like the show wants me to empathize, but this stuff wants me to pull back and detach. 
Yeah. So like I may or may, I don't know. Maybe I'm atypical, but that's what it's it's it's. I cannot be empathetic towards characters who are constantly screaming in pain because you want to detach from that. Mm-hmm. So, so this is the second time when when Bernard wakes up on the train to Sweetwater that we see the aspect ratio change. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I guess we'll talk about later. Just note it. Uh, or not. We... Or just be blissfully unaware. However you want to watch the show. Because, uh, you know, take off those fucking infrared goggles. There's nothing good can come of it. Uh, so there's a new security player on the scene, Coughlin. He arrives and he shits all over Ashley Stubbs as he whips the security into shape. This is a lamp. This is a lampshade, right? For why the security goons were so shitty. They were essentially the local police. They uh, were it's the a bad Mayberry lampshade because again, I've met this Coughlin guy, and ninety nine times out of a hundred, he's a blowhard idiot. Yeah. So well, he's not dead yet. He's not dead yet. <laughs> so, but like, come on, this guy. He's it's forty years in the future. He won't even shake hands with this guy. He's stomping around making demands. He uses the word bro on unironically. Mm-hmm. He insults Stubbs for having what a fucking girl's name. This guy's a clown. This yeah. guy's a clown. No, if he I turns agree. out to be competent, I'll be outraged. And if he turns out to be incompetent, I'll kind of be also outraged because enough already with the humans not knowing shit about anything. <laughs> I, I think this character's terrible. He's he's a, a same piece as the uh, who's the Skarsgård, lesser Skarsgård brother. I can't ever Strand. Strand. The, the, the Strand and Hale, they're all these one note mustache twirling assholes with bad human interfaces and it's, it's getting to the point for me it's almost bad storytelling yeah I don't like it well he's gonna be around at least one more episode maybe he'll get his gut splattered out and that'll be entertaining maybe uh, alright and then after making their way through the access tunnels Maeve's group arrives at the field where her former home is at she thanks Lee for getting her there and then sets off alone to reunite with her daughter over Hector's protests uh I, I couldn't shake the feeling that Lee is going to end up with, like, a, a new host best friend at the end of all this in mm. Maeve. Like, he, he sees, you know, she thanks him, and he's genuinely surprised and touched by that. Yeah. Uh, maybe because no one in this entire fucking facility has ever given him even an ounce of respect. And here Maeve doles out the tiniest drop of it. I mean, uh, and to your point, like, maybe he just outputs crap. Yeah. But at some point... If he's if he's made like a mountain of shit, it's kind of biologically impressive. It's like Ron, you know, <laughs> uh, Ron Burr. I just like you. You ate a whole wheel of cheese and then pooped it. Like I, I, I'm just impressed. You know, like that's that's the sheer output of the the excrement is impressive. Yeah, it's like the Triceratops in Jurassic Park. Like, how did you make this mound, man? It's it's just <laughs> you in two weeks. I don't get it. Not a yeah. fiber in the park for all this to happen. It, it seems like there is bonding happening on both sides of that fence. But then. It doesn't like it's like it's a very short term bond if it forms at all. Well, I mean, it's still a dubious bond. You know, it's not it's not a solid thing. And and Lee still has the biological imperatives to consider. Right. So Uh, do we also I mean, we talked about this on instant take, but I feel like we have to briefly restate everything on instant take since not everyone listens to it. Um, What on subsequent watches? What did you make of her solo trek to her little house on the prairie? Uh, alone and unarmed. Like, is that just phenomenally stupid and distracting, or is that Maeve being kind of just naive? Because, you know, these uh, these people I, are not used to wielding personal power. I suppose you could label it as naive, but she could also be confident in her abilities. Hmm. You know? I mean, she 
she is now a god in this world <laughs> for all intents and purposes. If she's so, a god, it's more of like a Olympian god in that she's sharing the space with others I, that I think, she doesn't have dominion over. I, I think there are limitations to her power, but I'm not certain that she fully understands those. Hmm. But she's seen that she can do some amazing things. Yeah, okay. I'll get I'll, I'll So maybe she that. has a case of overconfidence here. Sure, sure. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, so the Man in Black's group is ambushed in the hills. It's just a real quick scene. Uh, Maeve is reunited with her daughter, and the moment is magical until it's revealed that the girl has a new mother and the Ghost Nation attack again, really spoiling the beauty of it all. Uh, Maeve runs off with the woman's daughter and is chased by Ghost Nation. They ride up and tell Maeve that she's meant to follow their path. Then Hector and, as I'm dubbing them, the Double Dragons, come in guns blazing to save them. <laughs> Crouched in the field, Lee calls for help. Uh, Felix is disappointed in him. He'll remember that. <laughs> uh, I also want to mention the the one thing that's maybe a relevant point for the Man in Black's party getting attacked is they were attacked by Ghost Nation. Yeah. This seems like a coordinated strike at both parties simultaneously. Mm. Of course, you never know what fucking timelines. But, uh, right. Yeah. Um, Maeve's whole experience in the little house on the prairie is, is very, it reminds me a lot of Gladiator, like the walking through the amber waves of grain with your hand outstretched and mm-hmm. remember about families and all that. Uh, and again, Maeve does seem like her mind is blown that she's got a different mommy. Uh, and I'm going to just chalk it up to her naivete. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I I guess. I, I won't harp on it because, you know, I would think that Maeve would have figured that out, but she didn't. Right. What are you going to do? Right. Uh, and again, like, you know, she just woke up, like, what, three days ago? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like... Uh, I was imagine like like if uh, you had a, a automobile factory and like the workers one day just took over and killed all the the, the owners and the the managers mm-hmm. like it might run smoothly for a couple of days but there's going to be things like supply chains and payroll and yeah. taxes and stuff that they're going to fuck up and it's going to be a shit show for a while until they get those skills so I think some of these things of of making decisions and wielding power they're just they're just not they're just not good at because they don't have any any experience at all. So sometimes Maeve is going to make some childlike mistakes, and so will Dolores, and we just have to kind of expect that. As smart or as they are, they have zero experience doing any of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other interesting bit of information in here, when Maeve is talking to her daughter, whose name I think is Anna, based on this doll thing she's doing. Uh, right, right. Um, Anna's new mother remembers the man in black because she says... My mother is afraid that they're going to take Anna away or, or that the bad man is going to come and take Anna away again. Yeah. So she has told Anna this story that she clearly remembers. It's weird because, like, you, how much of this has actually happened? How much of this is a cornerstone, cornerstone memory? And also how much of it is, like, the bad man is supposed to be a catcheta. Like, that's his scheduled stop. He comes and, you know, raids the village and... And, and takes off the daughter or whatever, and you have to save him. And how much is and and then the man in black just happened to like get in on that action one day. Yeah, like it's very tough. It's very tough to go through. And I've got other questions. Like, why the hell did you take Maeve off of the storyline? Like, what would cause you to take Maeve and put her in Sweetwater and run into Mariposa when she was this this uh, you know mom on the prairie, and you 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 replaced her with a you know another generic woman mother on the prairie yeah like i there's 
I, and some of that I, I don't know. Like, are just not, am I not supposed to think that hard about it, or is is that an intentional thing that we're going to understand? Like, you know, again, God will help us all if this is all just a simulation. But um, <laughs> there's a lot of different, you know, again, the only reason I would just not say, well, that's just her character's cornerstone is bled over from the other and did wipe out is that we saw the man in black doing this and the man in black himself said that he did this. Right. So I kind of think it's an actual, a real memory that happened. And the only other times i can remember us seeing host taken off and replaced is like clem was replaced and it's because she was so so badly malfunctioning that they didn't know how to fix it right so they put in someone temporarily maybe right maybe that's what it is but they didn't take clementine and put her in a new story no but if they fixed her they might have like i maybe that's that's what it's exactly right like we can't get this robot fixed in time for the next cycle. Send somebody else in there. And now when to get this it fixed up, well, there's thing. there's yeah. already a host interacting with this one, so let's put her in the Mariposa. Yeah. Like, maybe that's... Maybe they do that. Or maybe they do it just to, dec- just to, just to move the scenery around so it's not literally the same goddamn thing that happens every single time. Yeah. Um, it's been 40 grand. Although Dolores has been picking up that paint can for low these 35 years, it seems like. She has. The, Dolores doesn't get a makeover ever? No? Nope. Nothing wrong with Dolores. Uh, what do you think Akechita means when he says we're meant for the same path? Like, that blew my mind. That's a really good question. I've been riding the Ghost Nation yeah. as the saviors of humanity hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Maeve, you know, you, you, you compare how Dolores treats her technician and her human hostages with how Maeve treats Lee, where she's given him begrudging respect and, yeah. uh, and, and thanks for, you know, him performing services for her. Maybe they're on this more on the same page there. Yeah, and you look at how, like you were talking about, uh, a catcher that treats the humans. Yeah, it's a lot like Maeve. Yeah, um, Maeve kills when she needs to. And I'm trying to think how's this how's this uh, tie in with the whole you're only you, you experience a true death and people forget your name. That mm-hmm. that's the other thing that a catcher that told Stubbs before he turned him loose. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that's one of the bigger mysteries that has yeah, yet to be revealed. Yeah, we're supposed to notice it. Just, just, just notice it. So as they approach the Mesa, Dolores and Teddy um, disconnect the engine of the train from, from one of the other cars. Uh, it's, I'm just going to call it the engine. It's an engine and a car. But uh, he locks the tech in the, the engine car with a gun and a single bullet. And the cars separate, and the engine speeds away from Dolores, Teddy, and Angela toward the Mesa. I am with are instant takers or instant talkers uh it seems like what the what the human should have done is go forward shoot out the window pull the pin that the robots just showed him how to do and then turn that little thing to stop the car and then get off at your leisure you know now you still got to run from murderous teddy who's a crack (laughs) shot at god knows how long and yeah but you know do do you just when do you give up you know right uh or at least try to jump off or something like it's just glass. It's not bulletproof glass, right? I, I couldn't imagine it would be bulletproof in that time period. Right, like <laughs> it would, it would, it would screw up your immersion if it was absolutely. Bulletproof. It would. You, know, you already have a bunch of safeguards to keep guests from getting hurt. So yeah, yeah, man, you just gave, you just you're you just gave up, dude. Mm-hmm. You just gave up. Yep. All right, so we go over to Coughlin, uh, who's told that everything seems to be working, but they still don't have control of the systems. Uh, Charlotte tells Coughlin that Abernathy is secure, and Coughlin sends a goon to fetch him. 
they get the map working and they see the train barreling toward the mesa the other question why the hell didn't they just pull out abernathy's brain like i know that Hale yeah. said i don't want you to mess with his brain but pulling out this brain is not messing with it no you're right this, this... i i couldn't uh, unless it somehow requires nearly continuous cooling from from the gel but then couldn't she have like a bucket i don't she know sticks or it bernard's into? been like... walking around with something in his fucking pocket his suit pocket yeah, I just wonder if it, if that's a long-term stable situation. Do you think it generates its but, own heat? That would imply its own power source. I, yeah, yeah I, just... I, I can't rationalize why they need Abernathy as a vessel for this That's thing. why, again, like, on subs, it's like, not only is it the blatant Christ imagery where it doesn't seem like it's lining up, but also, like, why? Yeah. Your best way to restrain this guy is literally a fucking nail gun. Here's anyway. the thing. I guarantee he's gone. Gone? Absolutely. He almost has to be gone. Because oh, of course. This is happening oh, between between yes. now and later in the timelines. Yes. We know that that Charlotte is still looking for yes. Abernathy. Yes. So he will not be there. Now, let's say this. He may be there. He may be there. I've seen some speculation that Coughlin is a third party or a third entity involved in all this um, and that, that Charlotte may be as well. But, like... He represents the overbearing dumbass faction. <laughs> I can. <laughs> he does seem to be that. Yeah. Uh, I, I can see a scenario in which maybe he fucks over Charlotte. Mm. And, you know, he's there they for do... the extraction, but doesn't extract her. He extracts the package. They you do know? seem to be a little bit uh, contentious in there. Yeah. In there. And, and I would love if he, like, fucks her over and gives the whole, you know, oh, you're crying just because blah, 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 you know, speech that she gave to, to, uh, who did she give to Bernard? When was that? I don't. This is the episode when Bernard's like, or no, Stubbs was saying like, you know, it might be good to tell oh, me yeah, yeah. that like the head of security, what he's actually security, and he's like, oh, you're just blah blah blah. I'm like, fuck you, lady. Fuck yeah. all you people. All, all Delos management just seems like massive assholes that don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like they took the worst aspects of Logan as their model and got and and, and rejected all the best aspects of William, and that's their corporate culture. Yeah, Logan assholeism is their is their is their prime directive, their mission statement. Uh, it could also be that maybe Dolores and company, or Bernard and Elsie, are going to get to Abernathy before this tech goon does. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Abernathy is clearly going to be gone. I wonder who will have him. I want to say Dolores, but you're right. It could be. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. No. All right, so the train explodes, which surprises Elsie in the cradle. Uh, Bernard is still inside the Matrix, and he follows a greyhound into the Mariposa, where he finds Ford sitting at a piano playing the the music, the mm-hmm. same music that Dolores was playing early on in this episode. Yep. Is this and what Ford meant when he said he was going to become music? He was literally going to become a simulation that's what I was playing say that, like, music. You know, last season, he said, you know, Beethoven and uh, uh, Bach never died; they just became the music. Yeah. Well. If, I think a, if a programmer slash AI researcher becomes, that would be them becoming the code, <laughs> right. joining the matrix, becoming one with the source. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's it's it has like a this poetic feel to it. Yeah, and there's a I lot really of like leading up. Like as soon as I saw the yeah. Greyhound, I remembered his speech about his dad giving and right. getting the, the old retired Greyhound for the family pet and how it killed the cat and was horrified. Mm-hmm. Like there's all kinds of stuff to, that make you think now. 
I mean, obviously, you can't, you don't end with Ford playing the piano, the same piano that Dolores was playing, kind of like, and that, I mentioned that on the Instant t- the Talk podcast the other night, that, like, Dolores seemed, like, surprised at herself that she was playing it, because that's something she was forced to do, and she was, you know, a servant, essentially, to William. Um, I'm wondering if they're suggesting something that I've been believing a lot this season, that that Dolores is not a free moral agent. She is essentially carrying Ford's water for her, for mm-hmm. him. Could be. Uh, Could be. In which case, I'm waiting. If that's the case, because like, I think we're supposed to understand that Dolores blowing Ford's head off was her act of defiance of her, her programming in the same way that May literally rejecting the imperative to escape Westworld on a train was her rejecting. But I think that's a bullshit choice and that we still haven't seen Dolores's actual choice. Mm-hmm. And that actual choice will probably be wrapped up in whatever she's doing with Bernard Arnold in the beginning of the episode, whatever she's doing there and to what end it is. Yeah, I have so much to talk about Okay, with with these final scenes. But it's all speculation. Uh, do you want to get into feedback right away, or do you have any closing thoughts? No, let's do feedback. So we got this thing called club.baldmove.com. It's currently, if you use code WW2018 at checkout for a new membership, it is. It, it gives you 25% off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I helped a guy, I helped a gentleman with this down at Con of Thrones. I helped yeah, him I sign that. up live. It's like, I I mean, if I had a gun in my hand, it would have been robbery. But this guy came up with his credit card and his cell phone and wanted me to walk him through it. And I was only happy to oblige. Saved him 25%. If you're in, if, if you're in the same boat as, as, as poor Rick, uh, you want to go to club.baldmove.com. Use that WW2018 to get a 25% off an annual membership. And what do you get? You get you get ad-free feeds. You get VIP access to our forums. You get tons of bonus features, uh, playthroughs of video games, lunch with Jim and Aaron, uh, which, by the way, you should check out uh, YouTube.com slash BaldMove to check out the hilarious uh, send-ups that Carter, uh, our fan Carter, has been doing of those on a weekly basis. Um all kinds of things most importantly i think you get the instant talk podcast instant talk podcast thank you yeah what is that that's our new feature where we do a live interactive chat after the instant take podcast which is all that the non-club members get they get that 15 20 minute take but then we have another sometimes 30 minutes afterward where we talk with the audience we answer questions and we just chat about westworld and it's a lot of times some of the insights we have come from that back and forth and it's the first time you i mean you can't get any any quicker talking about westworld than joining the live video recording of the podcast like that's this lickety split i mean whether you want to ask questions or not fine whatever but but you can actually talk westworld or hear it talked about super quick like as 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 quick as 10 minutes after episode airs by being a club member you can get 25 percent off right now ww 2018 it's just for the month of may this goes away in just a couple of days you've been waiting for the last moment the last moment is now here uh you got to begin where you ended and end where you started and that's that's may apparently that's that uh, we just decoded westworld the door is may. yeah it's decoded westworld uh apologies to was who's decoding westworld that's joanna and Dave, david is, right yeah. okay apologies dave and joanna We're, we decoded the month of may it's all about ww 2018 and supporting independent podcasts go to club.baldmove.com okay um starting up uh we had some talk about the wu-tang uh, uh, clan we wondered what the meaning of cream was in that dance 
Uh, we had a couple people theorize. Rob C. says, I was listening to the podcast. I think the usage of the Wu-Tang is simpler than you think. It may or may not be common knowledge, but the Wu-Tang Clan took much of their influence, member name, structure, skits on their tracks from the Japanese kung fu films and Shaolin monk mythology. I think those are all Chinese instead of Japanese, but uh, hmm. uh, kung fu especially is, is, is a Chinese, not Jap, but it's you know martial art. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting it back in the Westworld is a way of closing the circle of this influence into an art form that is entirely American hip-hop. Uh, so yeah, that's an interesting. Also, Ryan J from Queen said, "I thought I'd drop a note explaining the Wu Tang song usage. The Wu Tang song samples from the Carmels, uh, from Carmel and their 1967 song as good as long as I got you. When you hear the lyrics to that track, you'll understand how it fits perfectly into the scene, and it also fits perfectly into the entire theme of Westworld. Uh, and I looked up the lyrics. Uh, some of them go, "The whole world is my private playground to do whatever I want to do.'" Um, one lyric is no fires too hot, no snows too cold. Youth will never leave me. I'll never grow old. Um, which talks about the immortality project. I thought those were kind of interesting. Uh, also Jessica A, who has a PhD in musicology. Uh, we've got a few. That's doc- not a thing. Come we got, on, we got a few doctors. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, says who? Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've like, never I'm heard not a of PhD it. in shit. So. Uh, she says, I was pumped when you mentioned or read the feedback from Josh in from St. Augustine this past week because I've had the same thoughts about the connections between Raman uh, Jawadi's music for Game of Thrones and Westworld. You're absolutely right to say that there's connections between the two scores. For example, I love that the track The Night is Dark from Game of Thrones includes part of the main thematic material from the Sweetwater theme, just at a much slower tempo. This technique is called musical borrowing, and lots of composers borrow from themselves and others. Musicologists have written a lot about Charles Ives doing it, and even Beethoven did it when he was trying to cement his middle-period heroic style. You're also right that John Williams does it all the time, borrowing from himself and from other composers. For example, the Star Wars Imperial March is basically Mars, the bringer of war, from Gustav Holt's The Planets Symphony. Hmm. I actually listened to that, and it's, it's compelling. A Mars Bringer War is a badass soundtrack. Uh, it's not exactly, but yeah, you can definitely see the influences. Uh, composers do have signature styles that they bring over from piece to piece, and even the most versatile composer has a personal sound that's usually fairly recognizable. Uh, in in, in uh, short, she wouldn't be surprised if Jawadi stuck the J- Targaryen theme in just for fun. <laughs> uh, Daniel J., you're discussing whether or not the host should be classified as an entirely new species. A helpful idea for me was, when thinking about these things, is something I got from the physicist David Deutsch. Rather than separate humans and general AI into different categories, he loops them in, or groups them in the one category, people. He defines people as knowledge creators. Knowledge creation is an attempt to solve a problem by positing guesses. In my opinion, the guests and the hosts in Westworld are all people. It's only their bodies which are different. The hosts have a, a way more limited epistemology. Uh, which, if you don't know, that's a big word. It's the theory of knowledge, especially regards in its methods, validity, and scope. It tries to distinguish a justified belief from pure opinion. Uh, but uh, so does a person who is raised by wolves or someone with severe mental handicap or physical uh, disorder or psychic disorders. Um, what do you think about that definition? People as knowledge creators. It's as like good as I, any, I, I guess. Yeah, it feels reasonable to me. Um on the, the subject of species, I, I'm pretty sure that has to do with breeding. Um, right. So I like that was my big question about like because it was all like framed in oh what can can humans and robots have sex yeah. you know like that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. 
But yeah, I mean, if you want to define them broadly in a category, I feel like that's a pretty good one. Knowledge creators, people. Yeah, Daniel had a whole a whole paragraph about the taxonomy that I just kind of cut out because mm, that's yeah. like, you know, if you want, I mean, because you just never know how hardline rules lawyers people are going to be. Like, if, if, you, if you're talking about quote-unquote breeding, like, it's hard to say that these are going to be an offshoot of homo sapiens. Right. But if you say that, like, if you, if you want to integrate like mimetics into the genetics then of course they're our offspring Mm -hmm. we created them so like whether sperm and egg or code in a machine body it's still an act of creation of of a of what you want of what this uh david deutsch is calling a person so that seems very offshooty to me no and i love the the like short circuiting of the evolutionary the typical evolutionary track you know like right we don't have there has never been an example in in my knowledge of a more clear delineation between two species Mm -hmm. uh typically you don't have like this big gap where like one moment it's one thing the next moment it's a completely different thing yeah (laughs) you know that that is defined as an entirely new species and all that like it's usually very like uh, incremental and it has to be right mm-hmm. but we've kind of short-circuited that by mm-hmm. creating these artificial intelligences um moving on to another phd dr robert gk who's a phd in psychology they're an episode for akane no mai why speculating as the weather host would automatically develop consciousness in the absence of constraint from human operators of the park you conducted a brief thought experiment about whether cattle would escape when the fence had disappeared This is very reminiscent of research by Marty Seligman and others on the phenomenon of learned helplessness. In many versions of learned helplessness research, animals encounter unpleasant, unavoidable stimulus. When conditions are subsequently altered such that the stimulus is now avoidable, the animals generally do not take actions that would free them. Um, Many scholars argue that learned helplessness explains many human behaviors as well. A key tenet of learned helplessness is one is co- uh, uh, is one that is common to many areas of psychology. Perceptions are both highly influential and highly influenceable. Research on learned helplessness suggests that while some hosts may be more likely to break out of their program loops and begin to act more autonomously, many others, even if they show some degree of consciousness, may not notice anything out of the ordinary or realize there is anything beyond their typical range of experience towards which they could strive. In a similar situation, many humans would probably act consistently with learned helplessness at least as long as they weren't perturbed too far from their normal lives by other disturbances. In animal models, for example, dogs can unlearn learned helplessness if a researcher comes along and physically moves them over a barrier that was previously impassable. Interestingly, one instance of this may not be enough. Even being physically moved over a barrier and seeing the results firsthand was insufficient to unlearn helplessness from Seligman's dogs, who required multiple rounds of intervention from an outside source before they would jump the barrier themselves. I think this is an attempt to explain, like, New Clementine, like, trying to flirt with corpses, and the (laughs) dealer sitting there dealing cards to dead men because Uh they just, that's to learn helplessness. Yeah. Um I wonder if it's also key that New Clementine is is new. And isn't hmm. actually yeah, isn't the card dealer new too cuz that used to be Kissy, right? It was. So maybe this is a suggestion that like you have to be around the block a few times before you develop the deep experiences that allows you to start like, you know, breaking free. Yeah, this is I I can't remember 
where I saw saw or heard this recently. I know it was in a TV show uh, about the elephant who, uh, you know, as a child is chained to a tiny stake in the ground. It that was can't John Carl Esposito's speech. And yes, the, okay, that, yeah. that's the point that they're trying to get at, right? Mm-hmm. That learned helplessness. Right. So, yeah. Dan, the show itself is bringing it up. God, I couldn't remember where I'd seen that. It I know, right? in the show. Either. I'm like, yeah, I did. Oh, wait, it was Westworld. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> <laughs> didn't sound like anything to me. Uh, Melissa, I was just listening to your episode 204 and heard Aaron say, there's no fucking way when you bring back Jim Dalos he has the same conversations 149, 149 times mm-hmm. or something close to that. I just wanted to comment that because I actually do believe it's possible if someone's brain starts from the same spot, they will end up having the same conversation over and over, no matter how many times it resets. I believe mm. this is because of a very real story of a woman with temporary amnesia who ends up having the same exact conversation with her daughter dozens of times during her hospital stay as her memory resets itself every 90 seconds. It's almost as though our brains have these non-chaotic systems that, given the same starting input, will proceed the same way every time. The story was covered in a podcast of Radiolab uh, called Memory and Forgetting. Uh, you can see actual video footage of the interaction online, and she uh, posts a, uh, a YouTube video where you can actually see her do this. Maybe this changes your mind in the Jim Dale's conversations. I mean, it's interesting. I guess the thing I don't know from that episode is how, like, did they literally reset him every day of his 35 days, et cetera, and then uh, the man in black or, or, or William, I guess we're going to call him William, uh, he comes in and delivers it first thing. Because, like, that I would believe, like, this lady, this consciousness is reset every 90 seconds. I would mm-hmm. believe that she would default to some kind of, like, you know, universal behavior. Um, but, like, I, I guess I thought that Dalos was living his life and being tested throughout those days and... That's what I was reacting to. The fact that he would he would have the same reaction to William coming in the room one day, seven days, 35 days after his awakening, and that didn't seem plausible. What if, what if part of that test is the point of it is to be able to reset the host as well? I don't know. I mean, that's the same. Like, like what if they know. are resetting him every day and he stays in the same loops for... 7, 15, 39 days, whatever, until he eventually begins to degrade and not be able to maintain those loops. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Do you think that, like, I also, because that's the other thing I think we, we talked about. Well, I'll save that for the speculation. That's following speculation. Okay. Uh, Jeremy J., I have a fundamental question about how the show is telling us the James Dalos immortality scheme works. Is it a literal consciousness transfer? Is it a consciousness map that is created and uploaded to a host body? I feel like they figured out how to copy his consciousness, and every time he glitches out, they burned him down and made a new copy. But if this is the model, why would this version of immortality appeal to anyone? Why would you pay for it? What would be the benefit? If you were the living, breathing, terminally ill James Delos and they download your consciousness, you would just go on and die of your terminal illness. Sure, some copy of you would live on, and that may even feel like 100% continuity from the time the brain scan happened. And sure, to the outside world, there'd be the appearance of continuity. But why would that feel like immortality to the human version, who is the one trying to cheat death in the first place? It wouldn't, but it also doesn't matter. I mean... That is very much a philosophical question, which means, you know... That we're going to spend an hour talking about it right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I get it. Like, I think... 
like a common thought experiment you see in like science fiction shows is like, okay, you clone you you clone the terminally ill body, you clone the terminally ill brain, you put it in, and like you activate one in front of the other, mm-hmm. and the terminally ill version's like, but wait, wait. I'm still here. And then, like, what? They just, like, you know, throw him down a garbage chute, and then the clone says, okay, well, I'm still me. From the clone's perspective, it's true, and like Jim says, that's all that matters, right? Like, does it matter yeah. that there's some frail, mewling part of you that's dying? Uh, I, I find it even weirder. So I was thinking about some of the horrific, truly horrific outcomes of yeah. This this being put into host bodies um, and being trained for fidelity. And I was thinking, what if they took your consciousness? Like they they scanned me right now. They mm-hmm. put me into a marble and dumped it into a body that is identical to mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they trained that thing to be someone else. Mm. And then they took that host like they trained it to be you, okay. right? All right? They took that host and they sat it down in front of me. And this analogy is gonna go off the rails immediately because I made it me and you. But okay, all right. But they sat it down in front Who's of me. Who's to say that's not happening and, right now? And I recognized that personality uh-huh. as you, uh-huh. but the physical form as me. What kind of, like, weird, horrific... I mean, that's a great question. What does that do to, to your perception of self? I mean, honestly, the altered carbon deals with all that. Like the weirdness yeah. of being a consciousness in a different man's body, uh, like your your consciousness being consecutively, like continuously destroyed and recreated until right. it becomes a different version. Yeah, not even recognizably you, right. and then presented to yourself. It'd be and, so and they try weird. to keep this this like that which cannot be replaced concept with the stack. Uh-huh. In, in altered carbon, but they also yeah. show that you can't illegally spin up your stack in multiple uh-huh. host bodies. So, like, if the only thing keeping you from doing some and and the fact that they like the rich people casually like, oh, let me let me decant a couple clones and I'll slip into all of them. We'll have this like weird uh, one person gangbang, yeah. and then what? Kill the host at the end of it? Mm-hmm. Like, it's kooky. And I think the it's thing extra is, kooky if you know it started as your personality. But here's the thing. Our way of life would be very horrifying to a caveman. Like, literally, if you brought them forward sure. and you showed them what they were living on each other and you can kill people at a distance, and like, they would just, just fall to the ground screaming because they just couldn't comprehend it. So, like, I mean, that this, this is where it gets philosophical because, you mm-hmm. know, as I, as I say a lot, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that there's anything that's special in, like, a soul or anything. So... If I did clone my consciousness into another body, it would be only sentimentality that would look back at the old husk and and would be like, well, that's the real me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's how I think now. Would I think that's super fucked up? Like, um, but and and I, I I don't know. Like, shit, that's the old Star Trek tra- teleporter thing too. Like, is it is it actually you? I mean, there's well, a whole bunch me, of techno like... babble with uh, Heisenberg compensators and quantum scan resolution, so they like try to match your brain chemistry and all that stuff. So you are you in that moment, but mm-hmm. you know, it's also possible as they had with Tom Riker that you know that's there's just techno like there's a certain situations where you can be cloned, and what does that mean? And is that you? And I don't know, it's all heady stuff to think about. Yeah, 
don't consider it too much or you'll end up all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, James Taylor. Yes, right. This, the reflection of yourself looking back down at you. It's laughing. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> That's all the non-spoiler stuff I have to consider this week. Okay. Uh, non-speculation stuff. Non-speculation, yeah. I should say. We don't say. do spoilers. We don't do spoilers. We do speculation and theorizing, which we'll be getting up to in a moment. If you'd like to send us feedback of any variety, of any stripe, do so at westworld at baldmood.com. Of course, we have the forums there for you to discuss with your fellow fans uh, at forums.baldmood.com. Uh, and, yeah. We're about ready to get speculation-y, so if you don't want if you don't want to go into the funhouse with your IR goggles on, mm-hmm. now's the time where you exit uh, to, to, you, you exit from the haunted house, and uh, we'll see everybody else on the other side. Okay, this is the other side. All right, let's talk. Let's before we get the other people. Let's talk. You, you're you're raring to go with this twenty one point nine or twenty one to nine aspect ratio shit. Yeah, yeah, okay, so... Eat, eating a hole in your pocket. Let's yeah, so there are several moments in this episode where the aspect ratio changes. Yeah. Um, so and, and standard is 16 to 9? Uh, sure. I don't know what it is. And it's it, There are two different aspect, aspect ratios in this episode. Okay. Uh, actually, in this season, let's mm-hmm. say, because there are other times when it happens. So the first uh, scene with... Dolores interviewing for Fidelity Bernard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one where the aspect ratio is smaller, wider. Let's Wait, say wider. It's wider. Um, and the there are two others. There's one uh, when Bernard first enters Sweetwater on the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, that aspect ratio is just as wide as that first scene with Dolores. There's another one, isn't there? It's the one at the end, right? Where Ford's playing the piano. Right, right. So... To me, and I think to everyone who has considered this, and the language of the show is trying to tell us when the aspect ratio is very wide, like those scenes are, we mm-hmm. are in a simulation. Yeah. Which seems to make a lot of sense. Um, it's it's grounded in the fact that we know that Bernard is going into the simulation, mm-hmm. and that's when we see a shift. Now you can look back and you can say, okay, when, you know, when have we seen that before? Uh, I'm trying to remember when we do see it in in previous episodes i'm not sure that there's any actually but i know one scene in which everybody was speculating hey this is a simulation uh which i think this actually well, throws the, a bucket the, of cold water the beginning of on. season 2 where it's dolores yes. and bernard it was also shot in the in the right that the was the wide aspect ratio yeah cinemascope ratio or whatever now okay so that cast different light on on those scenes um now we know or we can start to speculate, like, what are they doing with Bernard? Well, they are running Bernard through a simulation. Uh, but I think a lot of the scenes we've seen and said, hey, maybe this is Bernard running through a simulation, are in mm-hmm. fact not. Mm-hmm. And conclusively not, because they don't have that wider aspect ratio. Like Bernard waking up on the beach right. in episode but, one does but, not have the wider aspect ratio. So here's the theory about the the, the follows that I think is the most... Yeah. Uh, do you want to no, take no, it? No, oh. go for it. There so, are a lot of theories so to there, follow that. The, the theory I like the most is that Ford is going to use the simulation of Dolores that he's been working on for however many eons. Because that's, you know, like, this, is time happening faster? Like, in one hour of the outside world, how long will Bernard be in there? And I think the evidence suggests a long time. Are you suggesting an Inception kind of time yes, dilation? Yes, I fucking am. And I also think that, like, okay. so Ford's been in there. He's captured Dolores, and he's going to use Dolores to essentially reprogram Bernard as the actual Arnold and send him back. When that that marble goes back in Arnold's brain, it's mm-hmm. going to be, or back in Bernard's body, it's going to be Arnold's brain. Now, yeah. 
But that, but, I, I could see Ford thinking that Arnold deserves another shot. You know, right, like he, right. he took this shot with Dolores. It failed because of this is a, a tale of two city know. situation. I sacrificed yeah. myself, lay my own life down, so this guy who I let I, who who died as a way to frustrate me in the beginning, he's right. I'm bringing him back. And perhaps and, Arnold is a better advocate for these hosts than Ford could ever be. Certainly, and, and Ford realizes that, and therefore wants to bring him back in a moment where it's crucial right. to have that advocate. Right. That's possible. Let's also say it's possible that Ford wants to put himself into Bernard. It's possible. I think that's definitely more of a black hat theory, but sure. Uh, it it certainly can be, yeah. Um, I could see him bringing himself back in a hybrid body. And actually, when you look at that scene of him waking up on the beach, mm-hmm. if you read that as you watch that with the Ford in Bernard's body lens, mm-hmm. it starts to make a lot of sense, like things they're saying, because the the security guard comes up and says, who the fuck is that? referring to mm-hmm. the Bernard we see, uh, and they say, who the fuck knows? And then Stubbs comes up immediately after that and says, you're going to shoot the boss, just like, just he, like did he did yeah, when yeah, they yeah, found yeah. Ford in cold storage. Yeah. So maybe they're getting cute clever. with that. Yeah, maybe yeah, they're yeah. getting clever. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Those are the two leading options right now. I think they're both plausible the other thing is since they made a big deal about this works with the older skull whole skulls uh articulation it could be that now that dolores is in the main you we saw the lc rocked to the same explosion dolores is in there she's going to find them and be like put me in there too and she's going to be she's going to she's going to be a complication to ford's original plan or maybe this is i mean you you i don't know how long a game ford's playing and what he's actually up to and whether he's a good guy or a bad guy but um, at some point, you're right. This this the stuff where Dolores is talking to Bernard slash Arnold has to be happening in the simulation because I do agree with what you were about to go on in the main podcast, which is if they ever violate this yeah. aspect ratio thing and use the wide frame in the real world or the 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 narrower frame in the simulation, I'm I might be done with the show because it's, it's that's just, that's fuckery of a yeah. that's cheating that's it is cheating, that's throwing yeah. dirt in my face if, mm-hmm. if you're a samurai it's establishing rules and then not playing by them which right. i hate right uh and maybe maybe you can take that like the musashi thing as a as the filmmakers saying that we won't do that because the guy that cheated got 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 killed uh-huh. right away <laughs> through dirt in his eyes got got dirt thrown in his eyes i will so. say that ford ford as an intelligent person has to know that this cradle will not remain secure forever and then he can't simply just stay there. But he might be kind of like hodoring it, like he's just trying to. She's trying yeah, to. Yeah, so there, there are a couple give of them options. enough time. Yeah, but he's buying time for these hosts yes. to escape before his his digital death, right? Um, where the cradle is blown up, which or, would also be an interesting. Uh, that would be kind of tie into what Akechita uh, said to Stubbs. Like that could be some kind of. You know, like his digital death is an actual permanent death. Like, hmm. you know, yeah. that, that'd be a, that could be a certain way of looking at that. Because he's stored in memory right now, right, <laughs> essentially. Exactly. Computer memory. Yeah. Um, or this could be Ford's plan to knock down another domino in in his his massive overall plan mm-hmm. before he escapes the cradle. You right. Because uh, there's a lot of people going back to like, well, this is this is Ford's way of. You know, trying to achieve his own immor- more, more immortality. The other thing I'm not qu- quite sure is because we're talking about we don't know how this tr- consciousness transfer works because it's problematic. Like we said, for all the reasons, like if I t- if you digitally scan your consciousness, put it in another human, you know, put it in another host body, how do you know that that's you? 
<laughs> all right, beyond the like, even if you say it's 100% you, is the old you still you and all that stuff? Like, how do you know it's still you? Well, how the hell did they ever transfer Arnold's body or consciousness 30 years ago when this technology is all in its infancy? Mm-hmm. Like, the other problematic thing, something I talked about a while back, is like, you know, if one of the Delos plots is um, they're using this simulated technology to, as guests come, to like try to predict, to, to run essentially um, like double blind fidelity tests. Like, we don't know anything that this person hasn't told us, and we use that information and run simulation after simulation to try to predict her behavior and then compare that with subsequent park visits and just keep pulling that into the model. Like, maybe they made a. If, if I did that to you, if I just, like, observed you a bunch and tried to feed you into a simulation and I tried to get, like, a a gym that would pass the gym sniff test, mm-hmm. is that you? I don't think anyone would say that's you because there's hidden that's facets a... that no one will ever know. Yeah. And, like, you, at best you have a, a gym behavioral model that you can use mm-hmm. to predict, but it's still not you. But it might be close enough to you to, like, fool your coworkers or fool... Mm-hmm. Like, if you're a famous person, fool your fans or something like that. And maybe that's good enough. And Yeah, what, like scratch building a consciousness that resembles right, a real person, right. I would say, is not them. But it might be good enough for people that don't know them well. Sure. Uh, yeah. And maybe you can even get it to where it'd be good enough to pass people's intimate tests. Because people change all the time. Like, something changes, and they're different now. You know, mm-hmm. like a death happened or a sickness. And, and here's or the interesting thing. I don't know that for the purposes of Ford's... Uh, plan here. He doesn't just need a scratch built Arnold. Exactly. Like he could create an Arnold that He's so done resembles that Arnold to Dolores yeah. that she can't tell the difference. Right. And that therefore her choice to maybe kill him or yeah. or, or help him or whatever she's going to yeah. do later on could be a genuine choice. But here's where I'm getting with this. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that you know, Dalos is doing what Dalos wanted to do. They want to use this as a prediction technology, as a marketing technology, as an immortality, uh, as a as a way to Control predict technology. predict what powerful world leaders are going to do. But what if Ford's used it to essentially replace a whole bunch of people already with host bodies, and they're in the world, and no one's known, and that's going to be revealed. As mm-hmm. a way to kind of like force the idea that these robots deserve human rights, like if you've replaced two hundred of the most famous actors in Hollywood and ten of the world leaders and a hundred surgeons and bankers and like and they're already mm-hmm. among and you're not gonna you won't you won't tell who it is you'll just say that's what I've done yeah like what does that do to the conversation <laughs> uh, I don't know the that's other thing question. that we have to talk about that's related to this is. So we're talking about the man in black's daughter, and I I felt confident saying this because we're just essentially talking about observations that a reasonable person can make. Mm -hmm. But if you if you turn that microscope and turn it around and and point at the man in black, maybe he just failed a fidelity test. And and then this is starting to sound really like Ford saying this begins where this ends where you began and begins where you end. Yes. Like the the man in black is going to realize that at some point he's been swapped out with a host Mm -hmm. and where, which this was a popular theory that was talked about after right. the James Delos episode, right? But I feel like it was—it's something that people have moved off from, and that's they where have. I was like, it'd be clever there hasn't for been them any, to resurrect it. Yeah, there hasn't until now, I think, yeah, been yeah. any new supporting evidence. But that'd be cool because remember, William kind of his heart grew dark when he realized Dolores was just a puppet or she was a trick. Mm-hmm. What would that do to him if he realized <laughs> it's? 
I mean, what do you call a trick that's so good it fools you, like about you? Uh, I think at the very that's reality. Least, he would give it would give him a new perspective on Dolores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It, to to maybe see her as you know, Maeve sees them as right. Maeve sees the hosts, even the hosts who are not as we would view them as woke as Maeve, right. are still people. They still right. have that those lives they're living. So, And that would explain, so like the theory goes that is that Man in Black, the, the, the most popular one that I saw is the Man in Black essentially died the night of the gala mm-hmm. and was replaced by a copy underneath all those corpses because he didn't have the arm sling, he wasn't otherwise yeah. injured. And also there's a lot of, the real Man in Black knew a lot about Native American cultures because mm-hmm. um, he paid attention to it. And yet he doesn't see that these are fake ghost air- nation arrows. He gets ambushed several times this episode and taken by surprise, which is not a typical William thing to do. Hmm. Like I think it's I think that there's something to that. I would be I'd be surprised if one of the many crazy ass reveals we're going to get towards the end of the season isn't the Man in Black is actually a host. Yeah, um, I can get behind that. So uh, I also wanted to talk about one other thing as it relates to people or consciousnesses being put into the bodies of hosts Mm -hmm. these hybrids being created um they conspicuously in my mind mention that the climate control systems are working right uh, lc does yeah which to me evokes the image of cold storage like what happens to hosts when Mm. the climate goes out well they start to deteriorate and disintegrate you know Mm -hmm. and we've seen that so we know that ford is in charge of the facility Mm mm-hmm and he must be the one who has kept climate control on. And now he doesn't need it. He's a fucking ghost in the machine, you know? Mm. So what would he be using that for? Maybe preserving some hosts that he's got stashed away. That's I've, my guess. I've got an alternate theory. Perhaps bringing himself back in a hybrid body of himself, you know? Let's bring Sir Anthony Hopkins back. Um, I don't think cold storage is really that cold because they talked about it not working and everything was, like, unfrozen and the host didn't seem like worse for wear and also no, i thought they did they... also we know that you, we've seen like the ghost nation warriors laid out in the sun for days if not weeks and they can pull their brains and they seem to be fully functional um mm-hmm. and their their bodies aren't seeming to rot either um i thought that that when, when i heard that i thought it was elsie she, she was exasperated like oh you got the environment controls great job like, way to w- work on the important stuff. But then she later finds out that, like, she's locked out of almost everything. So, like... <laughs> that that was the only thing they could control, so yeah, they did it. Yeah, and I thought that's like, like, kind of like a clever thing. Like, Elsie's like, way to go, slackers. But then she realizes, like, oh, God, she can she only has... And, like, even the, the team that comes in with uh, Dumbfuck McGee, uh, Coughlin, it's mm-hmm. like, they can barely get the map working. So, yeah. like, for, there are some things in the margins that you can fuck with. Like, maybe you can order room service now. Um, but maybe, and but but you're right. It, you you are also right that maybe this has something to do with the cold storage stuff too. It, it did seem very conspicuous, but uh, we'll just want to shout out Luke L because he's the one that sent in the email with the twenty-one to nine widescreen speculation uh, that we we kind of trampled all over. So, uh, do you have any? Other I mean, things? it was so it was impossible to miss. I, I see. Not, I will. Dis- that's why I kind of wanted very felt strongly that we should like not talk about a little lot because i honestly didn't notice it even this episode when someone pointed out it's easy to notice but i did not notice like during my research changing during my research it was impossible to miss and i think it's an important language of the the show i don't even think you're meant to like speculate on what it means i think you're meant to be grounded by it and if you miss it it's something that that's what I said. I didn't mind pointing it out that they like, wanted you to notice. Yeah, and I, uh, but but I think it's um, like missing the the man in black 
uh, yeah. question whether his daughter was real. Like, they wanted you to notice sure. that. And like I said, pointing out's one thing. Um, but, you know, and I, I honestly, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm trying to do it as yeah. defensive as possible because I do think that there are a hell of a lot. Of, I, I, I'm starting to suspect there's a lot of people going through this haunted house having a lot more fun than we are. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many people are watching this show. Two and a half million. In a way, no, in a way <laughs> that they watch other shows. Like, I think most of the people, the vast majority of people who are watching this show are looking for the the nitty-gritty details and the puzzle element mm. of it. I really do. It's tough to say. Because I think if you're watching this show casually, you get lost and you turn it off. Mm-hmm. I think this is not this is not a Game of Thrones size hit, not because of the quality of it, but because of the complexity of it. You might be right because Game of Thrones is far more watchable, far more. You might well, I think it's it's more surface level entertaining, sure. Yes, um, and maybe you could argue if you stripped away the puzzle box shit, this would be like a five hour season that's just straightforward, more straightforward and entertaining and enjoyable. But I, I don't know because I've also heard multiple reports of people saying that when you binge this stuff. Or you watch it after the fact, and you're not waiting between you know weeks in between seeing stuff and speculating that it is highly it's it's very bingeable, enjoyable show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely more of a thinker. I'm not going to ever say it's as accessible yeah. as like Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, but but I think to stick with it, you have to be willing to engage your brain on that level. And if you're not, mm-hmm. you don't stick with it. Hmm. You just turn know. it off. So I feel like it seems like there are a lot of people doing that, but. And I, I yeah. do think, I honestly, I wish I could just fucking smoke a bowl of herb and have a nice scotch and watch mm-hmm. this show and then be like, huh, well, I can't wait to see what they do next week. Like, I, if, I, if I was not running Bald Move with you, that's exactly how I'd be watching it. And I mm-hmm. think it would be more fun. That's not to say I wouldn't think about it and toss it over my head, but like, right, uh, right. I don't think this thing is. I don't think this thing is meant to be put into a tank full of a million people obsessed with it, sifting through every piece, manipulating pixels and all that. A person doing that, and but but like, I think we're that's not talking about it. We're talking about the ho- we're talking about the hive mind doing it. No, I think that's precisely what it's uh, built for. If it's if if it can if it can survive that scrutiny, I think it's a, it will be amazing. Um, and that's why I thought we thought so highly of the first season because it, it kind of did hold up after all that. Uh-huh. So, uh, Maggie wants to know, what happened to these violent delights have violent ends being a verbal cue that triggles a ro- triggles, triggles, <laughs> the triggers a robot to becoming sentient? Why doesn't Maeve say it to Akane instead of trying the weird whispers in her mind? I was, all expect- I was expecting it to hear it when Maeve approached Akane, unless, of course, Ford set up only some robots to be triggered by the phrase and not all. I leave deep thinking you. I don't have much deep thoughts. I think the violent the lights have violent ends was, if I'm being super honest, a leftover part of the pilot season of the Westworld that we never got, where that kissy hmm. actor didn't die, and the Native American mythology had a much bigger part of it, and Abernathy Shakespeare, like, like I think those things were all changed when the character, the actor that played Kissy, died, and they just it, they streamlined a lot of that Native American influence and went in a completely different direction with it. Um, I think that's a real answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did bring. What's curious is they brought it back this 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 year with Raj World. So I don't know what to make of that. I, I I really don't know what they're trying to do. I don't think it literally is a verbal virus the way I did in see early goings of season one. Right. It might be like who knows that that Indian guide might have been part of his Shakespeare and, and like 
I, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why Maeve or why Dolores whispers it to Maeve and why Maeve started like. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I that yet. I have, I have not enough information, and it does feel like a cop out to say it's a production mistake. Because mm-hmm. if, they, if that was the case, why double down in season two? That's a good question. That could be. I really don't know the answer. If I put on my real think hard thinking cap on, mm-hmm. I could say that's a suggestion that there are multiple things going on at the same time, and this is a classic Michael Crichton situation where. Vi- you have multiple complex systems that people are fucking with for their own reasons. Like Dennis Nedry stealing the embryos had nothing to do with the, you know, the dinosaurs evolving the ability to mate. And it had nothing to do with, mm-hmm. like, the hurricane to hit. But it's all these complicated systems interacting in weird, unpredictable ways. Mm-hmm. And you get chaos as a result. And I think that maybe the violent, maybe that is a verbal virus that's going around for some other reason that's interacting with the reveries. It's interacting with the Ford code. That's and it, that, and there's something else that we don't understand that's involved with ghost nation. Of course. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Rob G are the flies supposed to be represent perhaps too literally bugs in the code, at least from the Dalos perspective In season one, Dolores first becomes conscious. When she first becomes conscious, there's a scene where she dramatically slaps and kills a fly on her face. From the point of view of Ford, the reveries are features, but from the Dalos point of view, they are bugs. Is this too on the nose? Uh, eh. They nailed a Christ <laughs> figure to a, a platform oh this God. episode, so yep. no. No, it's not too on the nose. And I do also think that there's something to it because there is that really loud buzzing noise going on about Teddy when he makes the hasty decision to kill that dude. Mm-hmm. Um uh, he also wonders if robot sex can produce baby robots. Um, this is something we've talked about. Yep. We just don't know. We 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 think the hosts are fully biological beings, uh, but I think it would be madness to create a robot that can have sex with another robot and make another uh, another robot. Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish with that? Yeah. And will that baby robot have an empty brain because it's designed to have a marble plugged into it? Is that going to be part of the robot birthing process? Yeah. Like, what what, what the fuck? But then again, I also think it's stupid to program a robot to only understand a constructed language at a higher level of its operating system when Mm -hmm. you need core-level access to it. And apparently that's the way they're designed. Um, Aaron wouldn't make it as a programmer at this place. Uh, Rishi V. It seems to me that Dolores houses two separate personalities and backstories, Wyatt and classic Dolores. Fair enough. This seems like an integration of essentially two separate consciousness. We've seen some of this on display at the fort where she let the soldiers get slaughtered, but also had a tender moment with her father. Well, if there can essentially be two consciousness in one host, <laughs> why not three? Could Bernard house Bernard and Dolores and Wyatt? Yeah. Or do you reject the idea that Dolores really houses two separate consciousness melded in one? No, just bring, bring them all in. Let's just get all, let's just put the cradle Legion. into one person's head. Yeah, Legion it up. Maybe that's Bernard waking up on the beach. He's every single one of them. And Peter Abernathy's going to wake up and cast them all out into oh. a herd of swine, fulfilling yep. his role as Christ on the show. As the Judas steer, he's going to lead them right <laughs> off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, let's let's unpack this. I don't think Dolores and Wyatt are two consciousness melded, melded together. Like, I that's, agree. That's very, like, Star Trek uh, symbiote stuff. I what uh-huh. I think is they are merged in the sense that you'd merge two code bases. Uh I, I think she has access to the memories of mm-hmm. both of those 
right. characters that she has been in the past. Right. And that she, now being her own damn self, mm-hmm. is essentially struggling between which of her past selves she wants to be in the future. I, I don't think it's literally like two consciousnesses fighting it out in her marble brain. Right, right, yeah. No, I don't think there's like, and it's not like the Wyatt personalized fighting, and now he's dominant, and then the Dolores fights, and now she's dominant. I, I think they're just completely merged and blended, um, and and essentially now would be a unique new consciousness. Right. That's neither Dolores nor Wyatt. Yeah. Um, I don't have any evidence for that. That's just what I'm. That's what I, my interpretation of the evidence thus far. Uh, Rich S. Isn't the fact that Ford created Bernard showing that Ford was able to transfer consciousness? William failed with Dalos, but Ford didn't. Bernard seems to have been working fine for years. I mean, that goes back to we don't know how this consciousness transfer works. Does it is it plausible that you could transfer a consciousness at a high fidelity thirty years before the technology is close to being perfected by your next nearest competitor? I don't know. Like mm-hmm. that's where it's like, and and how is the simulation tied into this? I to me the, the simulation is key. If you can just transfer someone's fucking consciousness, then you wouldn't need to do the simulation. The simulation wouldn't be a big part of this this episode or this season. I think the simulation that the, they're not actually transferring consciousness; they're just gathering a bunch of input and then running a simulation until it's indistinguishable from the real thing, which is some which is some half-ass discount immortality, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. That's and not I'll even have... trying to uh, grapple with anything philosophically. No, I, I think. To me, it's always been a case of Bernard is a different animal. He was built from scratch Hmm. uh, by Ford the same way that his family, Ford's family, was built from scratch. He obviously doesn't have brain patterns of himself as a young child, right? He invented this tech, so not possible. Um, And yet he created himself as a young man. So Mm -hmm. I think there are three different types of hosts going on here. There's... The typical host with their typical loops mm-hmm. meant to service the the patrons of the park. So that's like Clementine 2.0. Right, and and old Dolores and Teddy and, and all them. Um, then there's Bernard, who is kind of a scratch-build personality uh, in a standard host body. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the hybrid hosts who are human personalities, which at some point had been interviewed and scanned and are trying to get as close to possible as the actual person. Mm-hmm. And they are put into host bodies. That's the best I can delineate these these different types of creatures here. Uh, Ashley F. I wanted to just, first of all, um, Coughlin would like to shit on your your name. I just wanted to let you know. My name? Uh, Ashley. Oh, okay. He gives like, your what? name an what? F, Ashley. Um, yeah. <laughs> fuck that guy. Uh, I just want to suggest something. In the opening scene, I viewed it as clearly suggesting Dolores is testing Bernard. I think it's the reverse. I think that Dolores is the one being tested. I think what? The, I think the blue dress is key. It means a lot for the first season. Dolores did not wear that blue dress anymore for this timeline or season. If Delos was attempting to run her through a loop like it seems like they're doing for Bernard, they would dress her the same and return her to the timeline she's supposed to be on. It doesn't make sense for Dolores to choose to wear that dress given she's rejected so much from that narrative. But wait, wait, wait. Here's what's happening in this scene. Uh-huh. She's interviewing Bernard in a manner that that Bernard has interviewed her before. Arnold, if we're, that, if, that Arnold, if we think, yes, yeah. has interviewed her before, and in those those memories, she mm-hmm. was wearing that dress, and that is why that's part of the fidelity. Whoever you think Dolores is in this scene, yes, that's part of the fidelity. Got to like, keep your end of the fidelity up for the other end to work out too, right? 
um, so that's why she's in that dress. Yeah. And because, we don't know when this is happening either, most importantly. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, think about, like, if William came in and he's like, hey, for this round, I'm going to cover my head and catch up and come in and, yeah. like, God, Jim, someone shot me in the head. Like, he's not going to start up with the, like, it took you long enough. He's going to be right. like, my God, William, who shot you? Like, yeah. ah, you fucked up the fidelity, old man. Like, yeah, I... To me, yeah, she wouldn't. She wouldn't just wear the blue dress cause she's playing a part, right? right? Yeah. Um, and have we talked about like th- the theories on now, who this is in this scene? Now, I do think that there is something like now that we know this is taking place in a simulation. Mm-hmm. Like it would be interesting if somehow there is a layer above the layer that Ford is actually using Dolores, thinking she's running a fidelity test on Bernard Arnold to actually run a fidelity test on her. Oh, okay. Because, gotcha. I mean, because, yeah, what if Ford has tampered with her programming in an effort to make her free, but he is trying to satisfy his own curiosity that she is her own person. So he's running her through these fidelity tests. Like, there, I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on your theory, Ashley, because I think there's something to there. I just don't think, like, the blue dress maybe is the... The, the ultimate but but without the blue dress there's really nothing but wouldn't it be cool which mm-hmm. isn't a great as we've talked about isn't isn't a great uh are, are you talking about the theories that ford is actually dolores in this scene uh oh i didn't running I didn't bernard through the fidelity test himself oh let me ask you this there's a theory hmm. i i read just before we sat down that because we're talking about how the 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 captions were all over the place last night. Uh, yeah, they, they were. They said sun up was stump, which they fixed this morning. Uh, Gala was gauntlet, which is still as of mm. three hours ago, uh, as of ten a.m. on Wednesday morning, still fucked up. Uh, and also, they consistently credited Elsie as Hale. Yeah, there is some there is some speculation that um, Bernard is misremembering all this as, or this is a simulation, or now I don't think it's a simulation because they don't use the aspect yeah. ratios. But there's probably is is the credits is the closed captioning giving away some sort of fuckery here because Bernard's I, clearly an unreliable no. narrator. He is a hundred percent, and they're doing a lot of stuff with his memory. Like a lot of the the weirdness we see mm. around that is, I don't think it's simulation stuff. I think it's memory stuff, right? Um, and potentially like new brain adjusting to new host body kind of stuff um but i don't my gut says no that this is just a slip like they named this character hale in some file somewhere and the system read it and was like all all of these characters lines are hale or the caption like because um her name is her last name actually is hughes instead of hale and that's kind of close i guess if you're doing some kind of machine interpretation thing uh although Recall that there was a there's a lot of discussion about when we found Elsie, she had flawless costuming and makeup, even though she'd been chained in a cave for multiple days with just protein bars in a bucket. Right, like that could be suggestive of yet. I mean, we know Bernard is being fucked with continually throughout all these scenes. Mm-hmm. We don't know if Elsie is part of that fuckery. Yeah, it does all. I don't know, man. It's just sometimes when Elsie is like an unguarded moment, like when she's sitting waiting for Bernard and and inside the cradle, but Bernard's inside the cradle, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. where there's no reason for her to act like anything but Elsie and she reads as Elsie. Yeah. Like if that's if that's Catherine Hale giving an Elsie performance when no one's there to see it, like what the fuck? Why? Yeah. It's because it's because this show's made anything fucking possible. So (laughs) 
uh, John R., uh, he wanted us to look into, like last season we talked about the man in the maze, right? This Native American myth. Uh, mm. Have you heard of the one about the white buffalo? No. We sent in an article talking about the legend and importance of the white buffalo, and I found it fascinating. And There's no fucking way this shit doesn't pay off, just like the man in the maze did last year. Uh... To Native Americans, the bison or American buffalo is a symbol of sacred life and abundance. The important and this symbolism were created from a legend. One summer, a long time ago, the seven sacred council fires of the Lakota Sioux came together and camped. The sun was strong, the people were starving, for there was no game. Two young men went out to hunt in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Along the way, a beautiful young woman dressed in white appeared to the warriors and said, "'Return to your people and tell them I am coming.'" This holy woman presented the Lakota people with a sacred pipe, which showed how all things were connected. I've, That's a weed I, pipe. I, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I've smoked that pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I saw how things were connected for sure. Yeah. She taught the Lakota people the mysteries of the earth. She taught them to pray and follow the proper path while on earth. As a woman left the tribe, she rolled um, upon the earth four times, changing color each time, finally turning into a white buffalo calf. She then disappeared. At almost the same time as they're leaving, great herds of buffalo could be seen surrounding the camps. It's said that after that day, the Lakota honored their pipe and buffalo were plentiful. This story of the white buffalo woman has immense importance to Lakota and many other tribes. As James Lame Deer, a spiritual healer, says, a white buffalo is the most sacred living thing you could ever encounter. The changing colors, like some white, white buffalo do as they age, have significance too, which must be interpreted by a holy man. The American buffalo or bison is a symbol of abundance and manifestation. The lesson learned by the Lakota is one does not have to struggle to survive. This is especially true if the right action is joined by the right prayer. By learning to appropriately unite the mundane with the divine, all that will be needed will be provided. The Native Americans see the birth of a white buffalo calf as the most significant prophetic signs equivalent to the weeping statues, bleeding icons, and crosses of light that are uh, prevalent within Christian churches today. Uh, let's see. Uh, the arrival of the white buffalo is like the second coming of Christ, says Floyd Hand Looks for Buffalo, an uh, Oglala medicine man from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. It will bring about purity of mind, body, and spirit and unify all nations, black, red, yellow, and white. He sees the birth of the white calf as an omen because they happen the most in the most unexpected places and often amongst the poorest people in the nation. The birth of the sacred white buffalo provides those within Native American communities with a sense of hope and indication that good times are to come. Now, I want to talk about this in context of the intro to Westworld, which we see a white buffalo being formed and then rampaging through the facility. Hmm. And how the white yeah. buffalo is essentially a Christ figure to these people. Uh, and we know the Lakota is the language that the ghost nation is speaking. And I thought there's some interesting things like... Who would be the white woman that we're looking for? We see Maeve in her flashbacks to being a mother is dressed all in white. Um, Dolores is wearing white. Yeah, it seems like Maeve is perhaps represented in that intro as well with the child. Right, 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 right. Um, and that, like, so this is, it's also this, this, this is an explicit rejection of like zero sum game capitalism, right? The fact that like if you just say the right prayers and believe in harmony that the universe will provide you with everything they need versus you have to go out and take what's yours and keep and protect it from others they'll steal you. Mm-hmm. Which kind of broadly seems like I mean Maeve hasn't got there yet, but we're not through the season, but Dolores is clearly this is there's only so much freedom and 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 security, and we have to make sure we get it, and the humans don't. Whereas Maeve might be trying to find this middle path. She's the white buffalo. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, of <laughs> sure, I can absolutely see her story going that direction. There's also that in the in this pre in the preseason trailer where we see Maeve kind of like directing a, a herd of buffalo to the facility. I thought that was shot just for the trailer mm-hmm. as like some kind of thematic shit. But the more I see Maeve interface interfacing with the mesh technology, the more I believe she can just literally command a herd of buffalo to go rampaging through this facility. Yeah. And her taking on the manifestation of the white buffalo to somehow, but to to what end? Is she the one that destroys the cradle? Is why is the cradle destroyed? Uh, Very good question. Still a lot of mystery intact this, this late into season. Yeah, we have four more episodes. Yeah, we're just over the hump. But I thought, like, just, just in the I same think... way, because if you think back to the man in the maze theory, that predicted a lot of things. Uh, chief among them, the using the host and bulk storage, the people underground, to form an army for oneself to, mm-hmm. to, to do this great rebellion. So I, I thought that uh, we considered the long-form version of this myth just to, just to see how all this stuff can happen. Now, the other thing is um, you'd have to look. So you, you got to look for who the woman in white is. Uh, you also have to look to see what form this, this pipe will take that, that, that allows people to see the connections between themselves and the universe. Like, how do you do that with robots? Is that merging into the cradle? Mm. Is that, you know... Is that going to be is that like the mesh network? Yeah, or is that going to be the fact that you know, like, like there's some humans that are hosts that that show that they're. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But like I said, those Native American legends had a lot to do with how things wrapped up last season. I want to put this out there through the conduit of John R. to see what we can make of it. And uh, I believe yes, this is the last of the theory stuff that we're going to consider. So, anything else you want to say? No, I think that's it. Okay, we wrapped it up in just over two hours. Westworld to turn it turn an hour a tight turn an two hour hours. show in a tight two hours. Yeah, Westworld at baldmove.com. If you'd like to send us feedback, of course, we also have the forums forums.baldmove.com. If you'd like to follow all the things that we're doing, uh, you got to go to baldmove.com, or you can go to social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, uh, Instagram at or slash uh, baldmove. Uh, we will see you. Again, Sunday, don't forget, right after the episode, we have the instant uh, talk podcast where Jim and I kind of like break down the episode for a couple minutes. Then we flip it to our audience. Uh, You have to be a club to participate uh, in it. This is your final opportunity to save 25% off uh, annual subscription to the club. So uh, two more days. Don't sleep. June 1st, it's gone. It goes away. It's like tears in the rain. Uh, (laughs) So check it out, club.baldmove.com, if you want to get into the full Instant Take podcast, Instant Talk podcast, rather. Uh, We will see you then if we don't see you before. And until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Later.